So, Umberto, do you like The Sopranos? It's my favorite show of all time, and I've seen it front to back five times. Um, and because you started watching it, I've now started rewatching it, and I'm halfway through the first season. <laughs> to be clear, I started rewatching it, yeah, yeah. and you talking about it, yeah. and then now you're starting. Or you are? You yeah, have I'm halfway through the first season. <laughs> yeah. You, anyway, so <laughs> let's get into the psychology of Tony Soprano specifically. Because we could go into the whole show, but I thought we just would yeah, sort of target yeah. Tony himself. Let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a, and a professor. My name is Umberto Castaneda, and I'm a waste management consultant. So this obviously will spoil the entire six seasons, so, you know, duly warned. Let's answer the first question right off the bat. Is Tony Soprano a psychopath? I don't think so. Not from all the discussions we've had about psychopathy. Um, by the way, this is why I do like the the layman term uh, sociopath or, or something along those lines because he's clearly antisocial. He clearly has low levels of empathy. He's clearly comfortable with violence. But he shows uh, genuine care for some, some people in his life. He shows some level of ability to organize. He shows some level of, of like um, long-term planning and things like this, but with big holes, you know. Right. So let's um, go into the different items on the hair uh, psychopathy scale and, and evaluate whether or not Tony Soprano, the fictional character, yeah. Has psychopathy. It seems that Melfi, Doctor Melfi, had diagnosed him with psychopathy or antisocial personality disorder, didn't it? I don't remember. I think did, so. Did she actually say that? Well, I I don't remember, but there there was a whole set. There's a whole story arc in one of the seasons where, when she would consult with other oh, yeah. clinicians, and they're like, you know, that psychopaths can't be treated, <clears throat> right? You remember that? Oh right? yeah, yeah, I do remember that. Yes. Yeah. And they they manipulate their. Yeah. Uh, psychiatrists and yeah. all this kind of stuff. So it seemed to me that Dr. Melfi had thought he had psychopathy. Uh, and remember that when we talk about these labels, psychopathy as a personality disorder, it is a construct that we create in our field to help us explain people right. and also predict their behavior and also you know, make uh, treatment uh, research available to us. You know, if you're just like, if you don't have any labels to anything, then you don't know what you're treating and you don't know how to evaluate, right. treat, how to evaluate treatment. So you evaluate people, okay, they fit these criteria seemingly. We did this treatment regimen with them and it had this outcome. Yeah. It's so, not some magical, like we dub the hundred percent psychopath. Right. <laughs> it's not like, as I always say, diagnosing someone with a broken arm. Right. Uh, there, it, it that's a discrete thing that you can see yeah. through an x-ray machine. Oh, there's a broken bone. Yeah. And it's not a philosophical concept. No. Psychopathy is a philosophical concept. Yeah. Okay, but having said that, uh, let's go through the 20 items. Number one, glib and superficial charm. Yeah. Uh, why do you say that? Uh, he, when he wants to be in a new situation or with a stranger or whatever, he can be extremely charming. Uh, but it's all definitely bullshit and superficial. <laughs> so, you know, he's very good at, you know, wooing girls. He's very good at charming some random person that he needs. Uh, he can have that that voice that's like uh, the, the nice Tony voice, you know. And so you're saying he wasn't sincere. Yeah, right. Uh, all the time? No, he's 
sincere with his friends. It, to some degree, like oftentimes he is saying one thing, but in his head thinking, I'm probably going to kill him. You know, so he's sincere to some extent. And he certainly yeah. has conversations where they seem sincere, like with his son and with okay. his wife. And so I'm. So I wouldn't say 100% glib and superficial, but. Okay, so let's put a percentage. Okay. If, if we put Ted Bundy at 100. Yeah, maybe Tony's 60. Okay, I'd put him at a 20 or 10 because the. The other people, so I'm going to compare to other people. Ted Bundy is a real person. When you study him and you study his behavior and you hear the stories about him, he's a, cla a classic psychopath mm -hmm. in that he was a con artist, committed a lot of crimes, no empathy, all that kind of stuff. He was also a sadistic sexual person in addition to being a psychopath um, and a murderer, which is d even different still. But uh, Ted Bundy, when he, he was perceived by people as very rarely being like real with people, but extremely charming and charming all the time. Think it's like when we think what, people, when they think of psychopath, they often think of like a killer. But what I want people to think about when they think of psychopath is a con artist, someone who is always conning people and doesn't care about conning other people. That's what a con artist says. They're always working some angle. Like with, a mobster. <laughs> <laughs> like a mobster, which we'll get yeah. into because like to evaluate his personality, you have to take context into account. Uh, some of his superficial charm that they present in the show could be a result of the fact that he had to be that way. You know, as sure. a, car, a car salesman sure, is sure. super glib and has superficial charm. But that's his job. You know, the car salesman sees the customer and it's like, oh, this is dollar signs. Sure. They don't give a fuck about that person. But they're going to be super charming. Yeah. Is that a is that a psychopath? No, it's their job. So it's you know was was Tony Soprano superficially charming in situations when it didn't even make much sense? That's the other thing I want people to think of when they think of a psychopath is they're not always the brightest bulb in the box. They make a lot of mistakes. They don't because of their personality disorder it gets in their way a lot of times I mean, you could make a case with Tony you know there was a lot of parts that he he, he stepped on his own feet right which we'll get to but right. with superficial charm right uh, that's fair yeah right so I would say that he certainly had the capacity to be superficially charming but I, but he wasn't in a constant state of superficial charm which most psychopaths are right. like Ted Bundy the other people I want to point out like the Firefest guy. Yeah. Now I can't diagnose him. He's a right. real, a real human being. I've never evaluated him. But if you look at what's presented in the documentaries, he was extremely charming to people, right? Yeah. And uh, and in in times when he knew otherwise, do you know what I mean? Yep. And he definitely, one could say, was a was a con artist and knew he was conning people. Okay. You know. You've convinced me to bring bring it down to forty. Okay. <laughs> Dirty John, you haven't listened to the podcast. I did, yeah. Oh, you did, okay. Yeah. So he is a classic psychopath. Totally, yeah. So when people think about a psychopath, the people I really, and I'm glad you've listened to the, the podcast, Dirty John. We, is, we did a, an episode on it. Okay. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we've done almost a thousand episodes. Uh, someone asked the other day, like, I want to hear the borderline deep dive. And I was like, have we done a borderline deep dive? <laughs> anyway, uh, Dirty John, he is a classic psychopath. When you when you hear his descript the descriptions that people give of him, he was always trying to work an angle. Yeah. Even when he was raging, he was trying to manipulate people to do something. Yeah. And so 
He was always lying. He was always on the take. That is a quintessential psychopath. Tony Soprano was not like that. Uh, the reason I give him the 40, though, is because think about when he's having those arguments with Carmela. He's always still tricking her. Like, yeah. almost always, right? When he's having arguments with almost all his associates, he's almost always tricking them. But, but I see your point that he has a lot of moments, at least that we see on the show, where his actual personality shines through yeah. fine. When he's threatened, he resorts to yeah. certain defenses yeah. like that. But when yeah. he's just normal, a lot of psychopaths, like, like Dirty John, there's not a baseline normal right, right. kind of... That's I'm a fair. regular guy moment. Yeah. You always have the personality disorder. Yeah. Anyway, number two, grandiose estimation of self. So narcissism. Uh, he's definitely a quote unquote narcissistic person. Uh, he's certainly, I mean, you have to be to like, we've had this conversation before for him to think like, yeah, I guess I should be the head of this family and blah, blah, blah. But, um, to be but clear, he's... what Berto is saying is the is a general term for narcissistic. Yeah, that's why I put in quotes. Yeah, not the uh, personality right. disorder, which is a completely other thing, it, which it, I it, would not diagnose him with. Right. I guess what I would say is that he definitely he's has narcissistic. A high... He's narcissistic in the way you and I are narcissistic. Yes, he has a very high self uh, self assessment and doesn't have a problem. Like you and I are narcissistic enough to have a podcast where we believe that we are uh, important enough and have smart enough things to say that other people would listen. Right. Otherwise, you and I would never have started a podcast. Right. However, for example, he's nowhere near as narcissistic as Uncle Junior, as an example. Uncle Junior is like constantly threatened by someone don't not thinking the highest of him, mm-hmm. whereas Tony shrugs off Occasionally, I mean, certainly he definitely has his temper tantrums, but he shrugs off, you know, certain jokes or certain amount of like, he's also a little bit self-deprecating, things like that. Uh, Whereas an Uncle Junior is like, what did they say about me? They said, what? You know, like, and he'll kill people over it, right? So that's narcissistic personality. But if we're talking specifically about the hair items uh, and hair, H-A-R-E, it's a man who developed this, this test for psychopathy. So it's his construction of psychopathy, by the way, is a grandiose estimation of self. So it's just like, like with Ted Bundy, he fired his lawyers and and defended himself, which was a dumb move. Totally. Because he thought, I can do a better job than my lawyers. And I I just don't see uh, Tony Soprano to that level because he'll even, he'll admit like, "Ah, like, I'm not good at this or whatever. Like he he is more aware of his limitations, not all of them. Absolutely. Dirty John believed that he deserved all these things and, you know, he, he was very entitled yeah. and, and, and he thought of himself, I'm a doctor and I could, you know, the, you know, Charlie Manson thought that he was a sex god and, yeah. uh, you know, number three, need for stimulation. Yeah, definitely. He always needs to have gumas. He needs to have risky situations with a gumas. He needs violence. He needs not only violence, but he seems to need like, um, especially later in the in the seasons, he seems to put himself unconscious subconsciously into situations that are going to devolve into murder. <laughs> yeah. Again, context. It's like all the guys in yeah. the mob system, and to some, and a lot of the wives are a lot in that situations as well. But yeah, there's some evidence for that in that he, with sex in particular, to some extent with drugs, uh, 
oh, right. lesser extent with, with violence. Um, he also seemed to thrive in very high stressful situations. Yeah. Um, it's not quintessential psychopathy need for stimulation. Like a classic need for stimulation is someone who uh, is just ne- constantly bored. Whereas with Tony Soprano, there were many scenes of him just chilling, watching yeah. TV with a with a Sunday, and he yeah. he seemed to spend a, a lot of his free time just kind of like hanging out at home. Yeah, uh, uh, someone like um, Christopher Moltisanti was more of a need for stimulation yeah. kind of guy, right. where he he had a really hard time just sitting still. Just being, yes, that's true. Number four, pathological lying. Oh, so this is a one I could totally see the the point of like, hey man, it's his job. Uh, so that's an interesting one because he definitely lies with ridiculous ease constantly to everyone at all times. Yeah. However, not about trivialities, not about things he doesn't have to lie about. Right. We call it instrumental lying as opposed to non-instrumental lying. Instrumental lying is like lying for some logical purpose. Right. When he is lying to Carmela about having a mistress. Right. He's lying because he wants to continue having the mistress yeah. and he doesn't want his wife to be upset. It's not like he's saying, I have the largest pool in New Jersey. Right. Like just because. <laughs> or or you're trying to brag, but it's not really that important. Right. So that's a quintessential example. No one shines their shoes better than my shoe shiner. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's It's... Odd lying. Yeah. So pathological lying is odd lying, where people will lie about things where you're like, why would you lie about that? It's and, such a yeah. weird thing to lie about. Like, for example, with Dirty John, he comes out of prison and, and he wanted love. Yeah. He, he goes on Match.com or something. He, he, wants, he wants a companion. Nothing wrong with that. Why is he lying to people saying he's a doctor right. when he's, he's a nurse? <laughs> right. I mean, being a nurse is... Unnecessary jeopardy. <laughs> yeah, why would you do that? You, you Eventually, yeah. it's going to come to roost. In fact, if Tony had been doing that, he would have been caught so much sooner, yeah. right? So that's, you know, Ted Bundy did that. I think, you know, the Firefest guy, I think, has evidence of that. It's really hard to know because, you know, we haven't really seen a full part of his personality. Right. But this one behavior that they did do in the documentaries was that spam email he sent out yeah. was so obviously... Uh, sleazy yeah. and lying that and he knows well he's young enough and he, he's an internet guy he right. must have known like I'm under a lot of scrutiny like a, a couple months after the fire festival right. why would I send out this spam email <laughs> yeah. like that's someone who just who can't help it that for for people who are psychopaths that's the point is they can't help it yeah. they have a personality disorder yeah narcissistic personality disordered people are not self-centered because they just like to, you know, boost themselves up. They can't help but to Mm -hmm. do it because if they don't, they have to face the emptiness of their soul, which is there. For psychopaths, it's very similar. If they don't engage in this thing, they have to slow down and actually face the fact that they hate themselves deep down or they don't even have a self deep down. And so they have to engage in these things that, in a sense, kind of distract them or at least prop up this idea that they are entitled and they are good and, you know, they can get away with things and they, you know, they are important. And so there's this compulsive nature in this Ted Bundy, Firefest guy, Dirty John. 
these psychopaths, I can't say the Firefest guy because I don't know him well enough, but this, the, this psychopathic behavior always comes home to roost. Yeah. And with Tony Soprano, it, you know, it didn't really, unless you look at the, the grand scheme, but that was more mob stuff. Um, but yeah, some evidence of pathological lying. Like, for example, well, so there's two elements to pathological lying. One is, is that it's compulsive. The other element is that you lie easily, as you pointed yeah. out. When he murdered his nephew, Christopher, basically his son. Yeah. He murders Christopher Moltisanti, which is just a fun name to say. Yeah. He had no problem lying no, about it. No problem. Like, Zero. There, we, we didn't see any <laughs> amount of busted upness no. about it. You would never, with these kind of people, you would never be able to tell. You would, you would be so shocked. You're like, wait, what? Yeah. Uh, he lied to Carmela, to Melfi almost all the time. And it, super, he he was so convincing, you know, because mm. he'd bring out that little vulnerability and that was so manipulative, you know. He's like, Carmela, you know that I can't, you know, like, and he'd be like a wounded child all of a well, sudden and he needs help. Well, there were times when I think he was genuinely, you know, pleading with her. Sure, but he was... So I mean, but, it's, he, it, but it's so so. I it's think this natural is, for him to use. Well, it as no, I think these are. Well, I guess it depends on the eye of the beholder. But yeah. when I saw those scenes, I see someone who genuinely actually wants Carmela to come back to him, but is being a super dick by not leveling with her and being honest with her. So I think that, from my viewing, the emotions and his intentions are genuine, but he's not being functional or or a good husband by saying, and I'm terribly sorry for all the things I've done. Right. And let me explain the things that I've done. You haven't even told that. I haven't told you about, you know, uh, so that's my take, but you're saying you think he's manipulating her. With oh, so, so granted there were some scenes like in the, when they are trying to get back together and stuff, but there are so many scenes where he starts trying to turn it around on her. Like, like it's her fault, either yeah. implicitly or explicitly. But that's a common thing that people do when they're riled up. Sure, when, you know it's it's. But yeah, he does I mean, it so well. He does it to everyone. Believe you know? <laughs> me, as a couples therapist, everyone does it. All well. right. <laughs> uh, number five, cunning and manipulative. Yeah, completely, a hundred percent on this one. He is. Um, he knows how to go, <clears throat> for example, when he goes in the, I just watched this one, uh, in the first season, he's like, all right, I'm going to give Uncle Junior what he wants. I'm going to tell him he's in charge, you know, and he knows Uncle Junior. He knows he's too narcissistic or whatever he wants to call him, to, too egotistical to not be in charge, but he's going to make him think he's in charge. But then he's going to like plan everything behind the scenes so that he's, and it, it, like imagine those stakes. The stakes aren't like, Oh, I might not get that promotion. It's like, if this gets found out, I am dead. And myself and most of my crew are dead. Yeah. But I don't care. I'm going to do it. I'm going to plan it. I'm gonna right. For most of us, if we were charged with having to have that conversation with Uncle Junior, we wouldn't be able to pull it off. One, right. our conscience would get the better of us. Or two... We just wouldn't be very good liars. Right. We wouldn't be as consistent with our delivery. Right. Um, other evidence that he was, uh, and to be clear, my assessment is that, so on the hair scale that you're either a zero, a one, or a two. Uh -huh. A two means you're, you're high on that scale. 
Zero means you don't have any evidence, and one means you're kind of... I would give him a one on this. Really? Yeah. Whoa. Uh, because, again, the, uh, the classic psychopaths like Dirty John and Ted Bundy were extremely cunning and manipulative. Like, they seem to be constantly manipulating. You know, Dirty John manipulated his... Did he marry her? Uh, but he was at least he was in a relationship with her for a long time. Uh, do you remember that the documentary? Yeah, yeah there's, there's that main woman. Yeah, that yeah he, and he like totally had her convinced and for years. Yeah, manipulated her for years. Yeah, uh, got her money and manipulated her away from her own family. You know, right. just a, a constant compulsion manipula- manipulation. Because to back up, the reason why a lot of psychopaths. Are doing the foundation of the lack of empathy and the cunningness and the lying and the manipulation and the and the superficial charm. You know, we tend to look at these symptoms as like this is this is the ground level of the conceptualization. No, these are the symptoms. The ground level of the conceptualization is the fact that they don't have a self. They don't know who they are. Right. They they weren't given a chance early in life to develop a sense of who they are and what they want. They actually don't have goals, but they they have general goals of like pleasure, you know, as everyone does. Yeah. I want to enjoy my life. Um, they also uh, were not given a chance to uh, know their emotions and they were modeled ve- often, ext- uh, typically very uh, chaotic emotional presentations for their parents. And so they actually never developed the ability to really understand what other people were thinking because their life circumstances were such that yeah. that just wasn't possible. Either they were abused or neglected or just chaos or abandoned or something. And so they will, uh, you know, it's not like they wake up in the morning, like I choose not to have empathy for other people. It's actually not functional to have, to not have empathy. It's, you're going to live a much happier life if you do have the capacity for empathy. Um, so what they do in life is they figure out, well, and this is through experience in their childhood, they learn. So if I just operate normally, a bunch of people get angry at me. Um, because I wanted something and I took it and suddenly everyone's angry at me. So I got to like figure out other people. Oh, I see. Other people can be hurt. And when I do things to them, I get hurt. So so if I need to get, if in in order for me to get what I want, I have to, I have to manipulate them into thinking that I'm like them and I need to act like I'm in their world. Right. So, and I have to manipulate and I, and because of the traumas that they've been through, they actually don't believe that other people will give them things naturally. So they, they believe they have to manipulate other people to give them love. Like the dirty John guy. Yeah. If he has no empathy or no feelings, why does he want to be in love so badly? Right. Well, it's because he wants attachments just like anyone. We tend to think, oh, psychopaths, they don't want attachments. They do. But because of their upbringing, their, their personality is such that, they don't trust that they can get it. And when they do get it, they don't even really interpret it correctly Yeah, because they don't understand it. And so, because they weren't given that understanding early in life. So they, so all these 20 items in the hair are a behavioral presentation that results from the foundation of lacking a self, being terribly unhappy with yourself, right? Um, not trusting other people, uh, not being able to really absorb attachments, not trusting attachments um, and trying to just eke out a, a little bit of pleasure in life. Yeah. So I, I get that from the context of if a two means 
that it, it's a, a heavier manifestation of that underlying need showing up as manipulation and um, what's the other part of it? Cunningness. Uh, cunningness. Then, then I get it. But it's hard to claim that the head of the mob there with all the examples, including like the freaking, you know, trying to convince Artie to like uh, leave and then burning his place down and then lying about it and all these kinds of things. Like uh, the friend that had the sports goods store and then right. they just totally defraud everything from him. Right. So, all the scams and well, things they pull. Well, the the sports store guy, he didn't manipulate. He just... He just told him flat out, "You owe us money." Sure, and we're gonna, and we, you owe us. It's but just, instead, like, like a normal person would be like, "Well, that that sucks." Let's see. But he like comes yeah. up with a whole scheme out of it. Well, one, it's part of the culture to do this. Yeah, uh, the culture that they're in, um, the mob culture, and two, he's he's a one in that yeah. he he's able to do it. Like the the it was I was having a hard time coming up with an example where it was clean because like the Artie example, that was a business decision. Yeah. Um, with the sport example, that's not even really manipulation. With all, well, a lot of other things, it's like, well, these are business choices, you know, t- to lie to Johnny Sack. Well, but think about. But but let me give yeah. an example. So the example that I thought of was Carmel. This is later on, which you haven't gotten to yet, and you're re re watching. But there's a point where Carmel, if you remember, there's a part where Carmela is trying to get this build this house. Yeah. And she keeps asking Tony. Have you talked to the inspector yet? Right, Have right, you right. leaned on the inspector yet? And because Tony doesn't want to because that signifies her being further apart from him. So yeah, he's I'd, dragging his feet. Right. Yeah. So so he's manipulating her. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll get to right. it. I'll get to it later. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, uh, still talk to him. And, you know, So this is lying. It's manipulative. He, right. So he's manipulating his wife to keep her dependent on him. Right. And But then Adrienne gets killed he you know him he asked sill to kill adrian bet yep. one of the best scenes of the whole series yep. and now uh you know months later uh, uh carmela runs into adrian's mom yeah and adrian's mom is like i i haven't heard from adrian i think she's dead yeah. i'm a hundred percent positive chris killed her or or your someone or did, your yeah. husband killed her for some reason yeah. And Carmela is like shocked by this and goes home and she's, you know, she tells Tony like, is, you know, I heard, is Adrian dead? She's, and she starts getting this in her head. She starts kind of asking around. She starts, right. you know, well, wait a second. Like if Adrian is in the witness protection program or not witness, if she ran away, cause that yeah. was, that was a story. Like she ran away from Chris. Well, surely she'd reach out to her mom. Right. <laughs> like what, what? And so she's asking, at that point, Tony leans on the inspection guy, yeah. gets the house going <laughs> purely to get his totally. wife to shut up about Adrienne. Yeah. So that in that situation, he doesn't have to do those things. Right. Like it's not, there's another way, which is more normal, which is to say, Carmela, how about you and I have a date night? Right. Or... Or I guess even more advanced, Carmela, I feel distant from you. Or, or Carmela, when you do these things, it somewhat threatens me and feels like you're not going to need me anymore. Right. Um, you don't have to play these games. Psychopaths play games. Yeah. Always the game. It's right. never just communication between you and the other person. Right. So, so uh, like to the again, I'm not making the case of manipulation because he's a psychopath, but. Remember in, in, in the relationship he had with the cop? 
Yeah. Constantly manipulating him and then using him to, like, for example, to follow Dr. Melfi. Yeah. And then gain information that he could use to try to manipulate her. But again, like, <laughs> that's totally in line with what I understand from all the mob TV. Well, that but I but what, that's not even related to a business or anything. That's but, just him being Tony. But it's when the from my understanding of the mob in TV yeah. in this in this world the Sopranos yeah. mob world cops were never to be trusted you never really befriended them and you were always trying to work some angle with them sure but we could say that whoever rises in those in those environments must be better at those things than the others right so he's, and I he's, think he is so he's capable that's, that's yeah. the, he's capable and when he needs it he uses it you know, quintessential psychopaths, it's all the time. Right. I mean, again, I'm not making the psychopath point. I'm just saying yeah. he's he's very, fine. I think we agree. He's very, very good and capable at manipulation yeah. and cunning. Yeah. <laughs> Dirty John could have told the truth to right. the woman, I'm right. a nurse and right. I'd like to date you. Right, right. He would have got a date. Yeah. He didn't have to lie that he was a high-powered surgeon. Right. Number six, lack of remorse or guilt. Uh, I think in general... This is another one where you could make the claim, well, it's the environment he's in. But again, like, how, how far does someone stretch? Um, he certainly has zero visible remorse or guilt about the, what, what he considers the business end of his dealings. So, like, I don't think he's, he would lose sleep or even wink once over any of the murdered people that, that meant nothing to him, which were most of the people. Clearly, that wasn't true with uh, Pussy. And uh, Chris, I mean, superficially, he was fine. Like, he could lie all day long. But it obviously ate him up inside. And, um, and, and I think he, was, he felt some guilt about Carmela. Uh, so he, he did demonstrate some capability for feeling guilt. Yeah, good. Yeah. That's what I'd say. Just to add some more details. Uh, and in fact, I'd put him at a zero on this. Because even the ones on this scale will look different than the way Tony did. You could make uh, maybe 0.5, I'll say. Like, uh, because, uh, because of the, um, the, the fact that he didn't seem to have remorse about killing Jackie Jr., for example. Right. Uh, Meadows' boyfriend. It was like, you and I could not do that. Right. Even if we were in the mob. Right. I guess. It'd be like... Uh, like other guys in the mob, you could see them being like, well, we can't kill Jackie Jr. Now other guys, but a lot of guys in the mob would have been like, absolutely, you got to kill Jackie Jr. Like clearly, I bet you we would agree that um, Jackie April, April is a psychopath <laughs> or very close to it. Not Jackie Richie. Uh, Richie, Richie April. Right. <laughs> right. Because uh, right. he's got, he's the dysfunction. Right. He's got everything. And he kills on a spot. And he Well, <laughs> so he's actually an interesting example. Ralphie is more of a psychopath. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Or maybe, okay, maybe what so I'm thinking Richie, of is that. Richie is more of a a PTSD case, I would make. Oh, interesting. Someone who is highly defended to because he feels scared a lot of times. But he has almost zero empathy for anyone at any time. Yeah. Including himself. Totally. So, so, so Ralphie and Richie April both present higher on the scale of yeah. psychopathy for sure. Richie comes out of jail and instantly, uh, you know, cripples 
uh, Beansy yeah. for almost no reason. Yeah. Just because he wants to make a point that he's yeah. back on the streets, baby. Yeah. And just ruins his friend's life. Yeah. You know, he doesn't uh, beat him up. Yeah. He cripples him. Yeah. Just, and he, he's happy about yeah, it. Yeah. And he's, and he's no remorse. He's sadistic for sure. Right. So, so, uh, Richie is more of the sadist psychopath. Right. Where you, where it almost seemed like he was just looking for an excuse to hurt people. Yep. Ralphie was less sadistic and didn't seem to be sadistic, but was, way lack of empathy way more lying way more uh you know when ralphie kills tracy yep. by bashing her head <laughs> against you know yeah. the the railing yeah and walks away yep and puts his hand in the ice bucket and is like that's psychopathy <laughs> you know and and it's just like what what and to see tony's response to that right. of like he feels so bad for right, her right. and everything in his context in the mob culture is like, well, she was a, she was a prostitute. Yeah. She was a hua. They call, she was a hua. Uh, yeah. You don't have empathy for a hua. One, two, you don't hit a made guy right. because she killed a hua. Yeah. Like you're not, you're not following the, so everything was pointing against him right. to have a reaction. Everything should have, what he should have done is he, for his own instrumental means to stay in power of, you know, to keep his good earner earning money would be to say, okay, well, I guess that's what happened, but that's not what he didn't. He had, he had compassion for this person. Although to be fair, question mark, to Tony's psychopathy traits, uh, he really didn't go that far. Until Ralphie killed a horse, <laughs> a true horse. Right. <laughs> Which again is another indication of non-psychopathy yeah. is to care about animals. For sure. But I guess what I'd say is, and, and maybe it's just his profession, but certainly Tony, outside of the circle of people that he gives a shit about, he doesn't give a shit. Right. He doesn't care what happens to them. He... If they die, they live, doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> well, and if they did something that is a mortal sin to their culture, well, they deserved it. You know, Jackie Jr. killed one of their... Jackie Jr. breaks into a, a, a card game and kills someone and steals from one of his card games. It's just like, well... Uh, yeah, you gotta you gotta die. Right. It's just you know, if we're gonna put an end, that's just the rules, man. Right. You just you broke a rule. But then Tony also shows cases where it's like it, it's not so much out of empathy. Like for example, when he goes, um, what's uh, Uncle Junior's henchman that Bobby? kills? Uh, no, not not Bobby. The in the first season. Oh, I forget he, his name. Okay. Anyways, that but that guy, he's kind of a dick. You yeah, know? yeah. And Tony goes and pulls him out of his car, beats him up, and staples his chest. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Is it because he's so bent out of shape about the guy he killed? No. It's because he crossed the line. Yeah. That's the only reason, right? Well, yeah. And, and he does it in a cruel way, right? Like, I mean, stapling someone. And so, like that. again, it's normal in that culture to do that. You could have seen Jackie Aprile, the, the nice guy who dies at the beginning. You could He would have done the same thing. But uh, I'd say that it's normal in that culture in that that culture has developed these people to a level that at least emulates some of these traits. Totally. Yeah. But that's different than having the trait, in, sure. you know, as a personality trait. Having said that, I want to be clear. I am not justifying of any of this not. fucking behavior. It's all bad. The mob culture is 100% bad. Yeah, yeah. There is nothing good about it. It needs to be pointed out that yeah. uh, when I say, because a lot of times, and Berto, you used to do this too, and maybe the listeners are doing this. If I say that 
Tony Soprano isn't a psychopath. Some people think that I'm justifying someone's behavior. Being a psychopath isn't a label for bad behavior. Uh, you can do bad things that don't get labeled in the DSM. And what Tony Soprano does and what this mob culture does is immoral, wrong, repulsive. In fact, watching this, so I watched it back when it came out on DVD. Uh, you know, I would, I would get the full seasons on DVD through Netflix, I believe, back in the day. And so this is the early 2000s, right? 20 years ago. And I loved it. And watching it again recently this year, 2019, loved it again for different reasons, but was really disgusted by the behavior in a right. much more profound way than I was back then. There is almost no characters aside from like <laughs> Carmela and Adrian, maybe, <laughs> and some of these other people. It's, it's, it's the stuff that these people do. It's, it's, just, it's and so and there's ridiculous. so many things about it where I'm just like, dudes, like there's another way to live here. Yeah, like you can have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. Like you don't have to shoot the cake, slam it into a meat grinder, and then eat it, <laughs> and bring everyone in on it too. You know. The, yeah. So anyway, but I want to some of the other people who I thought he had some remorse for and that they exhibited was Gloria. I thought he had yeah. some. Uh, he was kind of he was sad that she yeah. died, and I he but also he had her killed. But yeah, huh? <laughs> he had her killed. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. How do you ever killed again? He had, uh, it wasn't Silvio as well, or uh, not Silvio, it oh, was um, oh, that the other, other dude, uh, the, the twin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought he had some remorse for Vito, um, the, yeah, gay, the, gay the, the gay guy, yeah. uh, pussy, as you said. Yeah. His cousin, Tony. I th he had yeah, that one was, actually, I forgot how hard that hit him, yeah. Yeah. Artie, I th you know. Oh, yeah. He... He feels bad that he burned he down. He feels really bad. I yeah. mean, he when Artie is sad, he feels he feels yeah. bad. Um, and towards his mom, you know, I thought he had yeah. you know a lot of feelings, lack of remorse. Oh, and even Uncle Junior, like he yeah he had a back and forth with that. Lack of remorse, seemingly kind of with Adrian, kind of with Jackie Junior, uh, threatening Meadows' boyfriend, but yeah. his his black her black boyfriend, yeah, yeah. like no remorse, just like. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I threatened him, but, you know, yeah. I don't. Um, but again, Ralphie is a much, much more, uh, you know. By the way, one, one parenthesis is, I think what, and, and I might have been uh, more on this side before, so I, I'm only going to talk about the thing I said when we were doing the episode about, uh, or maybe it was either Fire or it was uh, the one with um, ten, um, the gal. Elizabeth uh, Holmes. Elizabeth Holmes. I, I don't remember which episode it was, but I did resent, not you, but I resented the fact that it seems like there was more care to label uh, things that were self-damaging, but when it's someone that causes so much damage to society, where I will know that their mind is normal, they're just kind of a dick. And I'm like, well, why did we define that mind as normal? Right, <laughs> right. But that's not the criteria... And if it comes across that way... And for psychopathy. Yeah. yeah the, I yeah. think that the key to understanding psychopathy is to read case examples yeah. of what we in the business call psychopaths right. and then contrast Tony Soprano with those totally. people. And that, I, I, that's I'm, what asking, I'm, I'm asking you people, yeah. give me a new category that's not psychopathy that we can all laugh at. 
Uh, how about just like an immoral asshole? Yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about gender and mob culture, and, and you know, because before moving forward, you know, it's it's required to cheat in this culture. Like yeah. you need a guma. Uh, if you don't, then you look like a pussy or something, right? Yeah. And it's required to jeopardize your marital attachment. So, you know, the cheating and the lack of remorse around that or the manipulation around having a guma is a, a part of the culture. It's just like, if you want to be in this club, this is what we do. Yeah. You can't be weak. You, right. can't, you can't show empathy or else, especially if you're the boss, right. you know, there's even episodes where they talk about that. Yeah. It's just like, you can't exhibit the fact that you have any emotions because you'll, someone will will kill you to, to, right. you know, your, to, to care about your family and to keep your family safe and to keep yourself safe and to keep your associates safe, you have to act like a psychopath. Yeah. Um, you can't ask for help. You can't give in. You can't have real conversations. You know, you right. can't, you, you, you have massive amounts of stress. You can't let shit slide. Right. Because if you let Jackie Jr. get away with it, well, then everyone's just going to try to knock yeah. off your poker games. Because you can't have a security guard at every poker game. You yeah. have to have severe consequences. There's death around every corner. The FBI is around every corner. Um, you can't be nice to your wife. You know, you can't give her oral sex because you'll be seen as a pussy. Right. And if you do, you, no one ever better find out. Right. Um, and... So all of this stress is going to lead to some, and pent up emotions and lack of attachment is going to lead to some odd things like yeah. anger and rage and lack of empathy. When you're burnt out on life, it's hard to have empathy for other people. Another part of, you know, this mob culture that they present in The Sopranos is he only allows, he's only really allowed to be tender with his mistresses. Yeah. You know, like it's the one time when he can actually be tender with and and kind of unbridled loving you know physically because it's a secret relationship he knows he has control over it he knows it's temporary and he knows that um he has all the power right and uh, and it, it's so just to that and so it kind of compels these guma and and i'm guessing now that i'm thinking about it that's why these mob cultures even have the gumas to begin with right because oftentimes they would show that in the show where it was the one time that they were just kind of regular guys. Yeah. Just kind of hanging out, having a normal conversation, these like private little conversations, <laughs> you know. Anyway, number seven in the hair uh, psychopath scale items. Number seven, uh, callousness and lack of empathy. Uh, so we've already basically been talking about that, so we don't need to go into but that. But callousness anymore. is... Yeah, a little different. Th that one... Um, I think, again, who knows? I, I think the gist out of all this is that it is quite possible that many people that rise in that culture that aren't technically psychopaths, they, like you said, they, they end up having to imitate psychopathic traits. Right. And then they, they sort of de facto become those things. So he's like yeah. ridiculously callous daily all the time. <laughs> right. So a good example of this is you are a soldier yeah. in World War II. Uh, let's just say, for whatever reason, you, Umberto, live in Seattle, and you're 19 years old, and you're drafted into the army, right. and you go to war, and you go into the Pacific, and there are, you go to Iwo Jima, yep. and there are Japanese soldiers who uh, you, know, you suspect are starving and defending their territory, 
and you're scared. <clears throat> uh, day one, you get into the battle, uh, bullets are flying over your head, friends of yours are dying, you know, you're, you're just traumatized. You're like, okay, well, I got to, you know, I want to kill these people to get them yeah. to stop killing my friends. You, you know, you start shooting some bullets, blah, blah, blah. Uh, one thing, you know, fast forward a few weeks. Well, now you see someone who's like bleeding out, a Japanese soldier that's bleeding out. They're not dead yet. And you shoot him in the head. Right. And you're just like, fuck that guy. <clears throat> like, you know, he, he could have been one of the guys who killed one of my guys. Right. And they would have done the, they would have done worse to me. Fuck that. And, and I've killed three other guys and I've seen 10 other of my friends get killed. And that guy was just trying to kill me. Fuck that guy. I kill him. Okay. Right. So in that moment, lack of empathy, lack of remorse, callousness, callousness right. uh, is that a psychopath? No, it's context. Yeah. It's survival. So that's very important to understand. Ted Bundy did not have to do any of that shit that he did. <laughs> right. uh, you know, the fire Festival guy didn't have to send that spam. He was compelled to do it. Uh, okay, 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 okay. Okay, so one second though. Because obviously you, you're almost making it sound, which we wouldn't want to, as... The mobster has no choice. Therefore, we should just send him to a mental institution. Ted Bundy didn't have to. Therefore, he should go to jail. But in reality... No, anyone who commits... I don't know. <laughs> whenever we get to the justice system, I don't know the answer to that. My gut reaction is lock them all up. I don't, no, I don't, no, no, I don't no, care I know. where it comes from. It's just you were saying, you were saying Ted Bundy didn't have to, but he, he has his own context, which is his brain. His brain telling him he does have to. But that's why it's a personality disorder, sure. is that it compels certain behaviors that are not to their own goals. If I believe Ted Bundy's goals was to have an attachment and to have power. We all want to have power in our life. We all want to feel like we have power. We all want to not feel powerless. Yeah. We all want to have closeness and sex. And, you know, most of us want to have sex. There are a lot of ways he could have done that in the normal ways, but he, because of his personality disorder, he didn't think he could get it in the normal ways. And so he exhibited these other ways that were, um, you know, a result of his personality disorder. If you're in a context, you're either forced to do a certain thing or you're acculturated into a mindset about a certain thing. And that's, that's a different thing. You take Tony Soprano and he goes on the witness protection program and his context is, you know, I think they, sometimes he talks about like Scottsdale, Arizona or something and suburbia and he's given enough love and attention. And he, you know, he, he's given the, the, a life that will actually be a good one. Then my c contention is that he would only exhibit s slight psychopathic traits at times, but for the most part, he wouldn't do it. You take a dirty John and you put him in suburbia in a place that is conducive to his life and he will, his psychopathic traits will exhibit themselves from day one. Yeah, which goes back to my thing. It was like, the, the one is defined as the inability for that self brain to kind of be conducive for that self brain's best interests. But if you take it at a meta level, it is not in Tony or his uh, family's best interest for him to do what he does in the longer term. So in some ways, uh, whether nur nature or nurture, 
their brain patterns are now in a, in, set in a way that are not conducive to their own well-being. Yeah. Yeah, just limited possibilities. Yeah. Number eight, shallow affect. Mm. Super, I mean, is, superficial emotional responsiveness. No, he's very emotional. Right. There's no evidence. <laughs> he displayed anger, sadness, joy, disgust, etc. As an example, when AJ attempted suicide, Tony was genuinely emotional. Yeah. Number nine, parasitic lifestyle. Um, I mean, it, by de facto, he is a parasite of all the victims of his mob operation. That's really stretching the definition. No, I mean, I mean, like literally, the mob, as you know, most often their racket is charging innocent people yeah. for tax, which is a parasite, right? But but again, that's essentially it, I, their job. Uh, yeah. Parasitic, the, the quint, uh, Dirty John, quintessential parasitic lifestyle. Yeah. He never worked and parasited off of that woman yeah quintessential you know when you read case examples of psychopaths a lot of 95 percent of them are like that they will manipulate their way into someone's lives they will con them and then they will just parasite off of them um poor behavioral controls yes yeah i would say about 30 percent because there were so many moments where he was cool as a cucumber right. when other people were losing their shit. Right. But he definitely had times when he was losing his shit against his own Better. instrumental yeah. goals. Number 11, sexual promiscuity. Mm-hmm. But not, um, you know, yes, but not uh, chronically or something. Just he, he always had to have someone on the side. He always had to... Yeah. You know, I, this is the one time when I'm actually going to go higher than you. Um, he's classic sexual promiscuity psychopath. Really? Yeah. Like, hmm. especially rewatching it the second time. I mean, he was always looking. Like, there wasn't a woman who came past his <laughs> eyeballs that he uh, didn't have sex with or try to. Yeah. Um, you know, he's alone with Adrienne for like, uh, okay. A Fair second. <laughs> you know, he's known Adrienne sure. for a long time. Yeah. He's alone with her for a little, just a little <laughs> brief moment. Boom. You can tell he wants to have sex with her. Uh, number 12, early behavioral problems. Yeah. Do we but, know? Yeah, but I mean, uh, well, yeah, he, he got in trouble in school all the time. He, yeah. uh, he was, we don't see all his young life, but... He was most certainly... We heard stories that him and Jackie uh, used to do these things. Yeah. But again, hard to tell if he was, you know, trying to impress his mob overbosses or something. Um, but again, definitely not classic. No. A classic psychopath would be like, you're setting a lot of fires, you're stealing from your parents, you're stealing, you're always stealing from your friends, you're, um, you know... You're doing sexual assaults, maybe. Uh, what other classic things? Shoplifting. Yeah. Um, and just not any kind of clear reason for any of it. 13, lack of realistic long-term goals. Uh, that's a tough one because it's like, on the one hand, yes, because he he is clearly self-sabotaging his long-term goals frequently. But at the same time, He's running uh, an operation for right. years on end. Yeah. Uh, I would say he doesn't qualify for this. Uh, 
if anything, this show demonstrates, because he was a mob boss the, all six seasons yeah. and succeeded. Yeah. So every decision he made must have been at least somewhat right because yeah. there were so many threats that he overcame. Yeah. 14, impulsivity. Yeah, he, he showed impulsivity. It didn't, like you said, there were many examples of him... Uh, with self control, self control, but but he, at the same time, like uh, if if there was an opportunity for some some scam, he would do it. If there was an opportunity to get with some girl, he would do it. Right. If you know, so thirty percent, I would say. Oh, and and I'd say like food and alcohol and drugs. Like he was very impulsive about those as well. Again, we there's other people who are way more impulsive. Sure. Uh, Fifteen irresponsibility. <clears throat> That's a hard one. Like uh, he wasn't irresponsible to his uh, duties as the head of the mob in general. Although he did, he was sometimes. There were times where he clearly was shirking his his duties. Yeah. Uh, uh, the if he was a classic psychopath, he wouldn't have been boss longer than a month. Yeah. He wouldn't have shown up to meetings. Yeah. He wouldn't have remembered things. He wouldn't have. Uh, held his end of the bargain. Yeah. Um, he he would have he would have been killed or demoted fast. Yeah. Uh, classic psychopaths like Dirty John, Ted Bundy, they can't hold a job for longer than a couple weeks because people eventually are just like Jesus. Like you can't get anything right. Yeah. Again, and that that's all I want to get across to the audience is people think oh psychopath like this manipulative genius. No. You, you read case studies of psychopaths. These people have a lifelong pattern of failure yeah. uh, where they got five bucks in their wallet and they're just trying to scam someone else out of, you know, something to mm-hmm. pay the bills, you know what yeah. I mean? Or to get that person to pay their bills. 16, not all psychopaths, but most. 16, failure to accept responsibility for own actions. Oh, yeah. Regularly. <laughs> that might be... That might be the highest for me is like he, I don't think he would blame himself almost in any circumstance. I mean, at least to others. Like, yeah. He, the way he treated Dr. Melfi, the yeah. way he treated Carmela, he didn't seem to. It's not his fault. Yeah. What uh, could I do? Now, again, could maybe deep down he had that. Sure. And the masculinity and the mob sort of eclipsed that. Uh, the last few. Um, are always the ones that rarely apply, but apply to the classic psychopaths mm-hmm. that you will meet in prisons and this kind of thing. Uh, many short-term marital relationships, juvenile delinquency, revocation of conditional release, which is a prison yeah. thing, and criminal versatility. Um, We've had a some discussion evidence. about the criminal versatility before. I think in this case, because uh, you've always said like, no, it's it's more like, it's not versatility as in like they're good criminals. It's just like they're always doing crimes, right? Mm-hmm. But he's always doing crimes. <laughs> yeah. Of all sorts of types. But like uh, if he was a psychopath, yeah. he's hanging out at Satriales and he, I, he, he, right. would, he would steal from his own business. Uh, right, right, right. He would try to take uh, Silvio's uh, watch when he wasn't looking. You know what I mean? Which I think he might. <laughs> I don't. He wouldn't do that. Maybe not. He wasn't Silvio's. compulsively criminal. He Kay. wasn't like petty little crimes. I, I mean, remember he would scam 
skimmed money for like he got the payment that Chris was supposed to pay to Uncle Junior. He was skimmed from that. But that's he, all part of the that's uh, all part of the game that they all play. Well, but I mean, at what point does the game become his per, his personality? Right? Like in that's this a case, good question. What I don't, I'm saying I don't is think like it is. I, each one I, of these categories. The only time you can so that the the only the 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 test for the if it's his personality is if it definitely can't be attributed to the job and shoots himself in the foot. The only time I could really point of, and it's hard for me to remember all six seasons, although I did just watch them all pretty in pretty quick succession, was when him and Christopher, season six, they see some guys uh, with a bunch of wine cases. Yeah. And they pull up and they steal all the wine cases and they, they shoot one of the guys. Yeah. So they didn't need to steal the <laughs> they wine. They did not need to do that. Uh, it wasn't like a big heist for money-wise. You know, they made a little bit of money, but it was it was a big risk for a yes. very low payoff. Very impulsive. Not what uh, he would do. Actually, it was against his job. Anyone, you know, his consigliere, uh, I can't say that word, Silvio would have said, do not involve yourself in petty crimes. You're the mob boss. You can't, if you got caught, yeah, yeah. like what would we... Um, and yet he still did it. I think the thing that always trips me up is the word versatility because like this guy was always scamming, right? He's like, what if we grabbed and we started charging that dude or having him write fake prescriptions so we can charge the HMO? Yeah. What if we did, like, it's okay. always like a scam. It's always a scam. So I'm getting, you know, I'm a little convinced by what you're yeah. saying. Maybe he's a one. Yeah. But again, it's so hard to tell. Sure, sure. Because they all did that and that's the deal. Yeah. The mob's deal is but, looking for scams. But maybe the better ones have more of that trait. Now, if, if you look it's at like each one of these me, columns... It's like calling me... A, it's like it's not a personality trait for me to look for topics for this podcast. Right? Fair, it, right. It's not a person... But it's a part of my job. So I am always looking... Like, I'm going through my life like, ooh, that would be a good podcast topic to do. Is that a personality trait? No. That's, that's something that this is part of this job. But, I'm always looking. But if you're looking. better at it, what is, that might say something about you. So like if Tony is better at that kind of thing, that might say something about it. And because I think, and I think that it, one is because he's smart and has learned from a lot of other hustlers and two, because he does lack some empathy. All right. Now, one last thing is that, because I feel like since we already know, like you, you sort of did the mental gestalt to start with, which I did as well, was like, ah, he's not really a psychopath. Because if you judge the categories knowing that he's not, that is a different way to look at it than if you just judge the category. So if you, for example, just look at, is he always committing all sorts of crimes and, and like stealing and all the the answer is yes. Right. So if a person, a psychologist were to evaluate him in prison, yeah, I suspect that they would give him a two on this. But at least the one, yeah. yeah. But yeah. a because according to the definition of criminal versatility, he more than meets it. But yeah. to me, as I un, the way that I conceptualize personality disorders, and the way a lot of other people in my camp do, is that it it's not the symptom you look at; it's is the overall picture and where and where it comes from and the context in which it lives, and. In my estimation, it's hard to evaluate that criterion because that's the context he lives in. And fair enough, we are evaluating one specific character in a show. I, I will submit that um, having met characters in my life that are 
uh, the kind of person that would be involved with stuff like this. Uh, the sense I get that it, it seems to be common among that, the trait that seems to be common, is like when, when I look, when I meet people and you tell me what you do, like I'm never in my head thinking like, how could I scam this to my advantage? Right. But I have noticed that, and so I don't know if Tony in the show demonstrated this as much, but I think he did to some extent. But I do think in that life, the ones that are better at it seem to have this where they're always right. like, how can I, I bet you there's an in here for yeah. me. Like when he meets Carmela's cousin who does the uh, the financial oh, stuff yeah. and he he's like, oh, well, let's work this relationship. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. And then he works him to work on this like HUD scam thing. Right. <laughs> Having said that, they, they presented it in the show where the guy actually proposed it and, yeah. then, and then Tony's like, huh, let's use this. But and they yeah. were trying to make Tony, as a character arc, they were trying to make Tony ambiguous enough so that we would care for him. Right. Even though he's a monster. <laughs> right. So, but you're right in that that is a key element that's hard to put into criteria. Right. That is a major element of psychopathy, which is always on the take. And that's why I want people to understand about psychopathy is don't equate them with a killer. Because right. the vast majority of psychopaths never kill anyone and never want to. Equate psychopaths with a cunning con artist right. who never sees another person as another person, only sees that person as a, as a ends to a means. Right. And the guiding principle for them are similar principles that we have, but they don't trust the normal venues to get those. They want pleasure. They want attachments. They want closeness. They want sex. Right. They want a family, but they don't believe they're the normal way to get it. will get of that because they just don't trust other people. Yeah. So they feel like they have to always be playing this game with you. And, always be closing. <laughs> and when you're around psychopaths, you feel it in your gut. If you have half a heart, yeah, you'll be like something about this person is is eerie to me. And yeah. when I'm around psychopaths that I've treated before, I feel that way. There's a there's a fear that you get with them. And it's hard you can't put a figure on it. Yeah. Like even just five minutes of interacting with psychopaths, I typically will have that that feeling mm -hmm. in it. And I'm and afterwards I'm like, why am I afraid of this person? Right, right. Later on I'm like, oh I get it because of that vibe. There's just something about the nonverbals that they give across that comes across, you know, the conscious mind is like, oh, they're being nice. The unconscious mind is like, I don't think they're, they're not doing all the th normal things that they should be, <laughs> should be doing yeah. that, that should be nice stuff. They're, they're acting nice yeah. and it comes across that way and you'll feel it. Anyway, let's take a break and we get back. I just want to talk about general soprano stuff and general psychology of Tony stuff. What do you say, Berto? Let's do it. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a new year, so of course it's time for New Year's resolutions. But often, those are just manifestations of internalized harmful voices, voices that tell us we're not good enough. So instead of making a resolution to change something, let's recognize that we are already good enough. Now, most people think of therapy as a place for us to work on our problems. 
But there are several schools of thought within the field of psychotherapy that adamantly reject that paradigm, like narrative therapy and solution-focused. Instead, these clinicians help us focus on what we're already doing well. And by helping us do that, data shows that we often will gravitate towards more beneficial patterns. Well, one place you can find such therapists is on BetterHelp. If you're thinking of starting therapy, it's definitely worth giving a try. So, celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Kirk today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Kirk. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. So, Berto, if Tony Soprano were to employ the audience to become a patron of the podcast and he was going to use his semi-psychopathic skills, what would he sound like? Oh, man, I'm going to butcher this accent. <laughs> um, listen, use. <laughs> so, um, okay. Um, look, I got a deal, a deal for you. Like, uh, we can go in on this together. Um, you know, you don't have to, like, do much. All you got to do is you got to show up and, like, basically become a patron of, of the podcast. And, you know, nothing bad needs to happen to you and your family. And, and if, you, uh, if you patronize us with enough money, then maybe, uh, you know, I don't have to show up late at night at your house and knock on the window or knock the window out or anything like that. Afangul! <laughs> So, uh, yeah, this is one of my favorite shows. It's up there with Game of Thrones, It's Always Sunny, Parks and Rec, The Americans, Black Mirror, Stranger Things, Fleabag. Uh, what's your favorite episode, Berto? Uh, okay, let's see. That'd be a little tough because I, I, I need to kind of review. I actually, I, almost it's not tough because the season finale, like the series finale, is so good that I have to give it. Why do you like it? Um, it is like, it brings together all these threads and in it, like it's, it's the resolution of this very existential season five and season six. And, uh, and it brings it back together to the family. And right when you think you're going to have some sort of closure, it basically rips your life out. What threads does it bring together? Cause I, I, when I watched it more recently, and I had the benefit of watching all six seasons in such quick succession, succession, yeah. you know, that all the characters and storylines were in my mind. And I liked the final episode too, but I actually found that it was David Chase made this decision not to have a lot of satisfying wrap-ups the way that other shows would. Yeah. Like other shows, there'd be this very clear like Game of Thrones, the final episodes <laughs> had extreme clear wrap-ups to all the storylines. Right. Whereas with this show, The Sopranos, I felt like there were a, a lot of storylines where it you just never, you know, like, okay, what happened to those people? And what happened to those yeah, people? Yeah, but I, to me, what I mean is like Tony's arc, right? Because Tony's arc 
was really the only important arc in the show at the end. And uh, the last two seasons, like the very beginning of the of the series starts with these existential questions, you know? And then the last two seasons, look, when I first saw season five, I was like, I wasn't so sure. When I rewatched it, probably the third time I saw it, I'm like, man, this is actually really, really interesting. And then season six is like super existential. So name so one like, of the existential questions. Uh, you know, what? what is it all for? <laughs> and how does it answer that at the end? Well, it, it tries to bring back like, oh, well, it's all about his family. Okay. And then unfortunately, or not, yeah, I guess unfortunately, um, it's still, it's still, when it pulls the rug out, it's like, it's all about the family, which he probably fucked up. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and you know, it does close, it does bring closure to the war that the, the families were having. And it, it basically, you know, it, it brings closure to his relationship with Christopher. <laughs> You know, for better or for worse, yeah. and it um, and it finally, I think, it brings closer to his his own search for not the final episode with Christopher, but no, the final series, like yeah. the final. But I was yeah. asking your favorite episode. You know, my, I, I still say my, the final episode is my final. Or, so is do you my think he's dead? Episode. Yeah, yeah, I do believe yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, me too. But if I were gonna like say one that wasn't the final episode, that was really like one that I, I'll always remember. Is the where he kills Ralphie? Oh, like that episode is intense, man. Yeah, it's. Uh, but there's a there's a lot of great ones, so it's it's a little hard because, like, man, there's a lot of episodes like the Russian in the forest with so, Chris and and that's my probably my number three. Probably. That's my favorite episode. Yeah, uh, Pine Barrens season Pine Barons, yeah. season three episode eleven. Yeah, Christopher and Polly. Uh, Polly provokes this fight. They kill the Russian. They take him out to yeah. the woods. The Russian is still alive. Uh, and we'll and, never know what actually happened yeah. to him. And uh, David Chase gets asked all the time, what happened to the Russian? And here's what he said. They shot a guy. Who knows where he went? Who cares about some Russian? This is what Hollywood has done to America. <laughs> Do you have to have closure on every little thing? <laughs> Isn't there any mystery in the world? It's a murky world out there. It's a murky life these guys lead. Yep. And by the way, I do know where the Russian is, but I'll never say because so many people get so pissy about it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. I, he, it's quintessential yeah. David Chase. Yeah, it's so good. Another episode that is in my top five is uh, the pussy... Getting uh, killed. Well, when, yeah, absolutely. That That episode is... Where they go in the yacht and they finally kill him because yeah, yeah. like it, there's a lot of lead up, but that episode is just phenomenal. Um, and then I also oh you know which one the um, the one where the uh, FBI is is setting is setting all the wires and oh. all the thing and they have that dun 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 that's a great episode yeah but it's really hard to pick man there's my, so many greats my second is college. Season one, episode five, oh, yeah. in which so emotional. Tony takes Meadow to see colleges, and uh, Tony sees an an old mobster. Yep, in, in the witness protection program. Yeah, that he has to confront. Uh, just a just a, a you know, it's it's lovely because it's two stories. You know, yep. there's there's Meadow, and you know she's confronting him like you're really in the mob, right? That kind <laughs> of stuff, and then this non-dialogue uh, 
you know, sequence of events where Tony's like trying to figure out if he is the guy because he can't really tell if he's the guy. Anyway, uh, so let's get into his early life. What do we know about Tony's early life that may have led to him having the, you know, his personality? Well, obviously, his his father, his uncle, everyone around him were in the mob, (laughs) and not only was that obvious because like everyone talked about it and stuff, but he saw the violence all the time directly, including where he sees the, his dad chop off the guy's uh, hand or whatever. And he, uh, he experienced the, di- the dichotomy of like the home life, like pretending and then seeing what uncle junior and his dad were really up to. Um, so yeah, so that, that was certainly not, that would mess up a lot of people. <laughs> Yeah, the personality of the dad is presented as a fun, upbeat person who was sexual and seductive of people, Mm -hmm. also very violent and powerful, very charming, always in control, non-emotional, you know, just very um, uh, steady, I suppose, and upbeat. Dad went to prison for a while while Tony was young, and they're... They told Tony that the dad was in Montana being a cowboy. <laughs> you know, just imagine that your dad disappears and you don't have your dad anymore. Right. You're told he's in Montana being a cowboy. That's got to be hurtful. You're like, what? what about me? Yeah. I mean, essentially that happened to you. I mean, your yeah. mom just disappeared. That's not just a small thing. No. That's, that's a very hurtful thing to one's attachment. Right. Mom, chronically upset distant, withholding, shaming, rejecting, guilt tripping, yeah. uh, guilt tripping, histrionic, uh, a martyr. She literally pushed Junior to kill her own son. Yeah. And this is a person who is toxic and difficult, always, always a struggle. N- nothing's right. ever good enough for her. And that's going to, that's going to wreak havoc on your, havoc on your personality. Uh, th- by the way, there is some... There is, it's, it gets a little hard to tell there because, you know, she was also becoming senile. So there, there's a couple of those scenes where it's like, yeah, clearly this is her personality, but then it's also unclear if she's always super aware of what's what. And like they go back and forth with that because there's moments where Tony's like, oh, she's evil. And then there's moments where like, oh, she really doesn't know what the fuck is going on. But in the <laughs> flashbacks, she is. Oh, in the flashbacks. Yeah, yeah. She's awful. Totally. And uh, I will also say the the sister is very interesting because she's she's a piece of work, Janice. Janice, and of course because of her environment, but uh, she seems narcissistic. Like I, I would say, she probably has narcissistic personality disorder, and she is a wreck, a constant wreck. You know, think about how many people died because, like, of her. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's that's maybe a little unfair, but basically. Yeah. How, why did she end up involving herself with all these very dangerous people right around Tony? Well, you, know? <laughs> you could say it was just what she knows and she's marrying her dad or yeah. something. But the emotional ex- exhibition that we would call her and her mom in, in my conceptualization is what we call histrionic, which can look narcissistic, but it's more of a uh, look at me kind oh, of thing. I, I have emotions, look at me. And certainly narcissistic people like, can be that way, but I, um, I would characterize it more as histrionic. So, Tony Soprano, Arrested Development, 
never developed a strong self, was never able to, never given the love and attention he needed, we can assume. I mean, dad was uh, perhaps caring and, and paid attention enough, but probably not a, not, or a little bit, but not enough. Plus, he was gone uh, in Montana being a cowboy. Mom doesn't look like ever would have given her son enough love and attention. So he develops this bad working model of other people where you can't trust other people to love you and to, you can't, there's no amount of, you know, with Carmela, you can't, because of the way he was raised, he doesn't believe that he can be like, Carmela, I'm scared. I love you. I want to be with you. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, let's, let's make up, you know, the way that uh, securely attached people yeah. would. He doesn't believe if he says that it's going to work out. And so he doesn't do that. And two, when he's, when he is hurt by her, he attacks because mm. he's so hurt that uh, he's trying to communicate his hurt through that. Yeah. Um, had to rely on himself, which develops this, you know, pseudo or this minor psychopathy, minor narcissism, uh, avoiding attachment. Definitely. Um, so, yeah. And the other thing is early life that we can point to is that everything was a fight all the time. Parents yeah. are fighting all the time. Uh, siblings fighting all the time. And so you see this in the show. It's just like there were, you know, there's conversations that happen where Tony would actually give in eventually but he would fight about it the whole time. Yeah. Instead of being like, well, hold on. Let, you know, let's think about this. I'm not quite sure. You know, let's talk about it. He just, he would immediately go on the attack and be like, so what, you know, and he would just oppose, oppose, yeah. oppose. <laughs> and then later on, he'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, like Carmela says, I, I want to invest in stocks. Right, right. You know, I want to get my cousin in here and talk about buying some bonds. And, and he's like, what, you know? You, I don't provide for you. Yeah, just, yeah. just constant fighting, fighting. And then eventually he's like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> uh, panic attacks. So they do that. Let's talk about that for a second. I thought that the panic attacks were not entirely poorly written. So there's a lot of accuracies to it, like the sudden onset. Yeah. The fact that he thought he was having a, part, a, a, a heart attack. But... The fact is, is that most panic attacks, people don't faint. Yeah, that was a little uh, different, certainly from my experience. And his very first one was fainting when he was a kid. A lot of them, he was fainting. Yeah. 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 So, but certainly you can. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm not going to say that it, yeah. it, it's, you can absolutely faint from panic attacks for sure. Um, and they seem to uh, come come on when the writers wanted it to come on. <laughs> Like it, he had a he had a a lot in the beginning, and then he would only occasionally have them later on, which is somewhat accurate. Um, the thing that really bothered me about the show was Doctor Melfi. Doctor Melfi, the first time I watched this show, when I was you know, I was a therapist when I watched this show twenty years ago. Doctor Melfi's scenes kind of irked me, but not entirely. Watching it this second time around. I could barely watch those scenes. They were so bad. The therapy in this show and the presentation of really most of the mental health professionals, except for her therapist, by the way, Elliot, is so bad. The ethical problems, I mean, the Dr. Melfi's treatment is just so cringeworthy. I want to do a full series just on her, by the way. <laughs> but uh, anyway, the the treatment of the panic attacks, They seem the writers seem to be saying, that it's very psychoanalytically oriented in that yeah. as she's treating his panic attacks, she's like, tell me about your mother. Yeah. 
that's not how you treat panic attacks. Like you, to, you can't to treat your panic attacks. You can't talk about your mother. That's to, that's not going to fix your panic attacks. What's he's he's there's not an ounce of proper treatment for panic that she ever engages in the entire time. <laughs> Which would be more like self-awareness of your body and the moment and like right. like mindfulness and things like that. Right. And a number of other things in that realm, which I won't go into, but, 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 but not, you know, talking about, and the way that she even did it too, it was just like, essentially she equated her, his panic attacks with his unexpressed anger at his parents, uh-huh. which is just such a like a trope for, sure. for psychoanalysts sure. to, to think, you know. But it is, is it not fair to say that, like, let's say she had been doing the, the treatment of how to handle the panic attacks. Uh, but certainly, he had a ridiculous number of unresolved, unaddressed, untalked about issues that could be causing all the, like, the underlying bricks that would, that would have him be anx- anxious and... Uh, and, uh, you know, all these kind of problems, right? So Yeah, maybe uh, in part, but uh, relationally anxious. But like not- I, I think of it like from my perspective, when I went into therapy, if I had just learned like how to deal with like when it does happen, yeah, like that's great. But if it keeps happening all the time, because I'm not doing work on like what's making me so anxious like what what is my no i don't think so i i think so so you had a lot of goals in therapy one yeah. of them was to help with your anxiety your other goals had to do with uh, being fulfilled in your attachments yeah and without that you can you can be anxious but you're not going to have panic attacks you might be emotionally upset and alone mm-hmm. and scared and hurt but you're not going to have panic attacks uh, your your panic attacks could emerge from loneliness, I guess, but it has to be chronic, I suppose, growing up. Well, but isn't it fair to say, because like Tony, there's t- times where he wanted to quit and stuff like that. Like he wasn't just there for the panic attacks after a certain point. Well, so here's another complaint I have about the way it's presented in the show is at no point f- from what I... So I have to be a little careful because... I only watched maybe the first five to 10 sessions with Dr. Melfi mm-hmm. in this most recent rewatch. I was so disgusted by the therapy and, mm-hmm. actually, and actually just kind of bored yeah. that I would skip over those scenes. So at least in the first number of seasons, there isn't a single mention of why he's in therapy other than the fact that he wants to not have panic attacks. Well, originally, that's right. That is literally the message. Like he was told he needed to see someone. And later on... By the doctors. It, you know, unless you can tell me something that I skipped over, there's no mention of why he's in therapy. Well, he starts... He he doesn't tell her this, but he starts going... Because at one point he quits in season one, and then he realizes that something she said... At least he twists it to be like, oh, I could, I see how I could deal with Uncle Junior. So then he's like, oh, actually, this is really useful. And that happens multiple times. What? Where, how was it useful to him? 
Well, he thinks it's useful because she was trying to give him advice about his relationship with his children and about how you need to sometimes make him feel like they're they're in control. And then he's like, oh, I should use this with Uncle Junior. And so then he does brokers the uh-huh. peace with him. And then he's like, oh, maybe there is something to this. So I'm not saying that it was actually being effective. Okay. In fact, that gets brought up multiple times that she starts getting... Like, I don't think this is helping you at all. I think it's doing more harm than good. But he thinks that he's getting all these little tools and tips for how to be a better mobster. I don't know. The way that most of the sessions played to me was, you know, they would, he would start talking about something that was on his mind. Yes. And the way that he sees things. Yeah. She would judge him and confront him and use just the dumbest of language, by the way, just like language that I don't even understand. I'm like, why would you use that word? Sure. You know, anyway, but just tons- Which played well for the show, but it's terrible therapy. <laughs> right, right. Played well f- for the point that David Chase was cut- trying to get across, which is that psychoanalysts are in their ivory tower and elitist or something and don't really understand their patience or something. Well, oh, sorry, but potentially, yeah, but it did advance the plot, though. Right, yeah, totally. Yeah. So, the, 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 well, one could argue that it didn't, they didn't need to be as long, honestly. Sure. Like, the, the sessions, eventually, I was just like, God. But remember know, that there were all these dynamics, like his attraction for her, his trying to defend right. her outside of, like, there was a lot of plot-related things that have nothing to do with whether yeah. she's good or terrible. Yeah, <laughs> and I need to rewatch it to yeah. see, but I, it, that was, I kept, as I was watching yeah. these sessions, I was like, Dr. Melfi, what, <laughs> what are you treating? Sure. Like, if you're treating the panic, okay. Sure. But there were so many things that she did, particularly later on, because the panic became less of an issue, Yeah, where I was like, what's the point? Yeah, yeah. But so actually, let's just go into this in terms of my notes on this. From Reddit, I actually read this, which I thought was pretty good. Just someone talking. I always thought the show was a criticism of psychology. All of the psychologists and psychiatrists were either enablers or incapable of helping their patients. <laughs> Melfi fed Tony bullshit about how he wasn't to blame for his behavior. So that's kind of a, a, a simplification of that. But a lot of Dr. Melfi's messages to Tony was kind of along those lines. Hmm. But it was only when he was... Bl- so when he was blaming himself, then she would say... Well, you realize your mother was a terrible person. Yeah. When he wasn't blaming himself, she, she would, blame would him. <laughs> she would blame him. Yeah, yeah. So the again, plot oriented, I guess it it, you know, you were tr- we're trying to get inside the head of the mob boss, I guess. We're trying yeah. to but and we're also trying to have some kind of dialogue with someone, you know, outside of the the mob context, but as far as therapy goes, all she did was judge and confront and oppose him, which is not therapy. I will say that if his goal, if David Chase's goal was to point a critical eye, I think he failed with the layperson. Because when I saw the show, it actually like legitimized in my mind, you know, like I think that was part of the point. It's like even a mob boss might have to have some help mentally. And I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting, which I think softened the ground for when I had to go to therapy. And so it's it's I think with the with the with the lay people, it actually sort of brought 
therapy into the mainstream. Like yeah. even a mob boss might have to go to therapy. Yeah, and there were reports of a lot more men going to therapy after The Sopranos yeah. came out. Um, Melfi's psychiatrist, Elliot, was afraid of Melfi. This is from the Reddit guy. Yeah. Melfi's psychiatrist, Elliot, was afraid of Melfi and never stood up to her directly. The only time Melfi is told that she's being an idiot is at the dinner party and she immediately lashes out at her doctor. So this is, uh, again, part of this is this person's perspective of just like, um, but I, anyway, my point of reading this section is that it points to what a lot of people I think pulled away from the way Melfi did therapy, which is that, which is a stereotype of therapy, which is therapy is about confronting and judging and telling you how right. you're an idiot. Right, right, right. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> you know, you're not admitting that you hate your mother. Yeah. And you want to have sex with your dad. Like, what's <laughs> wrong with you? Like, this show really propagated those ideas because Melfi acted that way. And then this guy's on Reddit. He's like, and Melfi's psychiatrist, who's the, the only one who is actually kind of listening yeah. of all the mental health professionals. He's like, you know. He, and he didn't confront her. <laughs> he never stood up to her directly. Yeah. What? <laughs> Therapy is not standing up to your client. I don't, when, when my clients sit down and am I, I don't stand up to them. Yeah. yeah. That, what the fuck are you talking about? Right. Meadows doctor, this is what he goes on. Meadows doctor tells Meadow to drop out of school and go backpacking through Europe. Who the fuck would tell a struggling <laughs> college student to run away from their problems? So <laughs> in this instance, again, this exhibits that uh, misunderstanding of what therapy is. Uh, from his perspective, Th that's bad advice. But what I'm going to say is that Meadow's doctor should never have said anything to Meadow not. about what she should do. Of course not. She should be uh, helping her in a more fundamental way. What Meadow decides to do with her life, like drop out of school or go backpacking, is up to Meadow. But see, okay, totally agree. I agree like basically a thousand percent. However, as a counterpoint, this is why I, as a layperson, actually felt that there was value to Dr. Melfi because she, the whole premise is like, shouldn't she be saying, no, I can't treat you because who you are and I'm going to judge what you are and who you are, therefore I can't treat you. But instead she, you know, dragging her feet many times said, I'm going to try. Now, maybe she's a terrible therapist. Yeah. But try what? Like, that's the whole thing. Like, what we'll is she, to, what is she trying? Try to help him. What is she doing to help him? Well... I mean, wouldn't you say that if one can go to therapy to become a better member of society and one's family and oneself, that if, that would be good? If that's the goal that the client yeah. has. But I don't, that's well, not Tony's goal. Tony's goal is not to get out of the mob and stop killing people. Well, but a therapist shouldn't just do whatever the client's goal is. Because what if the client's goal is like, I want to be a better mobster. I want to kill more people. Then the therapist says, I'm sorry, I can't help you with that. Right, right, right. But, but, if, but it, that doesn't mean I insert my own goals in there. Wow, but Tony wasn't saying that, right? And, and Tony, so here's surface, what I would have done. I would have been like, okay, Tony, you're in a you're in a mob. You you seem to be struggling in a lot of ways. You have yeah. panic attacks. You're depressed at times. You I, I perceive feel put upon by a lot of people. You've been through a lot of shit. Your parents were you know questionable. Your mom is still kind of a piece of work. Here's what I'm going to offer you. You can come here and we can work on something that I can help you with. 
Maybe you want to work on your anxiety. Maybe you want to work on your depression. Maybe you want to work on just exploring your life and figuring out what you what you want to do with your life, yeah. what you want to do with your relationships. Maybe with your marriage, you're 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 having mistresses. Um, you know, you seem to have a lot of strife around that. It's not my place to judge you, but uh, maybe there's something there. Maybe you're, what you really want is a closer relationship with your wife. And maybe you won't need these mistresses anymore. Maybe you don't want to be married to Carmela. I don't know. But I'm here to explore that. Maybe we could explore that. But uh, you have to ask me to explore that with you. Maybe you have some existential questions about the meaning of your right. life and like, you know, why you're here on this planet and, you know, what you're doing. But you have to ask me for help with that. I can't help you with that if you don't say that's what you want. And, and if, if you don't want help with those things and you can't come up with anything else, right. then there's no point in right, us right. wasting your time. Yeah, and that but that's been not a what she approach. does. That's not what she does. Whenever he starts to suggest that he doesn't want to be in therapy, and this happens later, yeah. which is much more prevalent later, yeah. she convinces him to stay in, she judges him, say, oh, well, isn't that interesting that you want to quit therapy? Right. And grasps at him and keeps him in therapy. And so- But she's also getting codependent, right? Like there, there, there's this aspect, like yeah, there's all sorts of fucked yeah. upness going on yeah. there. She's attracted. She wants to have sex with him. Yeah. So there are all sorts of fucked upness, and at no point do I, when I watch these sessions, am I like, what are they? Why are they talking about this? Right. What is the point of this conversation? They're just. She's just opposing him. All she does is oppose him. Which is not only bad therapy, but abusive, harmful therapy. One could argue that if this was a real case, that many people died because she fucked it up. Probably. But but you could I could at least imagine a lot of people, a lot of therapists, unfortunately feeling like they were they were trying to do good by trying to help that way. Totally. Yeah. So that's the other part of this. I'm watching this so and maybe I'm like, it's realistic. <laughs> so, so it is. Yeah. So actually let me, I'm going to read a, a quote. So there's yeah. actually a book that I've owned for years called the psychology of the Sopranos yeah. written by a very renowned person in my field named Glenn Gabbard. Uh-huh. He's like, you know, top, top 20 authors in my field. And he, uh, I'll just read from his book. He wrote an entire book. And he's not known for writing books about like pop psychology. Uh-huh. He's norm- he normally writes like h- hardcore yeah, yeah. psychoanalytic books and stuff. But he writes this book called Psychology of Sopranos, uh, published around the time that the series was still being aired. He writes, not only is the therapy an arguably accurate version of what actually happens in our counseling rooms, but the writers are blessed with an extraordinary psychological sophistication. So in that... So wow. <laughs> this this man believes that yeah. not only is this accurate therapy, mm-hmm. but it's very sophisticated. Which means that it is accurate. <laughs> so they, he goes on to say, Lorraine Bracco received an award at, this, at an event for creating, quote, the most credible psychoanalyst ever to appear in the cinema or on television. Which might be true. <laughs> so, the, so the American Psychiatric Association... And uh, or the American Psychoanalytic Association, actually, I believe. Yeah, American Psychoanalytic. So not only Gabbard, yeah, but also 
other psychoanalysts thought I mean, this it was, was written extremely, 20 years ago. Well, and but, the field is it's 20 years later. It always kind of baffles me when I hear that, but it makes sense. Psych, psychology moves at a snail space. I'll, I'll give you another example. Uh-huh. I, that, so that idea of like that was 20 years ago means nothing in our world. It, things don't change that quickly in my field. Uh, it, things are almost identical as they were 20. I've been a therapist this whole time. I'm here mm-hmm. to tell you they're nearly identical. There are some differences in terms of like payment and that kind of thing. But in terms well, of- Well, certainly the, the, the public's understanding of it is has changed radically. Right. But we're talking about psychoanalysts looking at another- Hmm. psychoanalysts on TV. So okay. if, if this was depicted today, they would have seen it the same way. Uh, let me give just a, another example why I'm on this rant train is I was at a presentation one time as an audience member and the person presenting was presenting to a lot of novice clinicians. Mm-hmm. And I was a professor. Anyway, I wasn't one of the novice clinicians. And the presenter was uh, presented some research from like 1997 or 2005. Yeah. And, you know, they're going through that and then someone raised their hand and they're just like, well, you know, it's all that's fine and good, but, you know, it's kind of old research. And I can't remember the exact research topic mm-hmm. and, or the finding, but it was one of those findings where I was like, well, it's probably a- applicable to today. And plus yeah. 2005, it's not that long ago in the scheme of psychological research. Right, right. But to this person, it was just like, oh, it's ages ago. Things are so different now. In our field, things are, uh, uh, we're, you know, they, again, they move at very slow paces. Anyway, it's not like saying, like if someone wrote an article about Facebook and you found out that the, the you know, the, yeah. it, it came out in 2006, you'd be like, well, they don't, they, you know, that's a completely different world. Anyway. I, I, sorry, but I guess from the outside looking in, like even the fact that they picked a psychiatrist is very interesting, right? It wasn't a family and marriage therapist. It was a psychiatrist. Yeah, yeah. So, and a psychoanalytic psychiatrist, yeah. Uh, yeah. which is actually more relevant because <clears throat> um, there are plenty of marriage and family psychiatrists, but this was a psychoanalyst. So, there's two things here. One is this is East Coast psychoanalysis, which this was born out of and is depicting, which is very different from Seattle psychoanalyst, mm-hmm. psychoanalysis, by the way. Uh so one, either, so apparently this is very accurate, Yeah, which is abhorrent because if this <laughs> is actually what psychoanalysis is supposed to look like, right. uh, I feel sorry for every single client <laughs> to, you know, it, there's no goal. The, 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 this clearly, uh, Melfi has a completely other set of goals that she doesn't even illuminate, right. uh, him to. And, and her demeanor, even from the very start is very sort of passive aggressive judgmental. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. like angry and and yeah. not compassionate, not empathetic. Which to your point that she should have just reclused herself. She like, should not even be a therapist in my view. I don't think fine, I don't think say, any of her clients were were benefiting by her. But if I gave her the benefit of the doubt that th- these bad traits only came out because he was a mobster and she didn't know how to deal with it she should have just not dealt with it (laughs) i don't know i mean in her conversations with her therapist elliot she seemed to have like a lot of disdain for all of her patients oh that's true uh well is this maybe one of those cases and maybe you're right maybe maybe she's not meant to be written as a great therapist right so (laughs) so so that was the other thing that i thought was uh, because as i was watching rewatching it i was like oh 
you know, typical, this writer just doesn't know how to write a therapist. But then Elliot, her therapist is actually Seems good, is actually pretty good. Yeah. Not entirely, yeah. but, but pretty good. And I was like, oh, wait, they, at least they, they know how to write a somewhat good therapist. So yeah. they're purposely writing a shitty therapist. And remember that there's eventually those scenes where he's like, he gets super angry. Like, I don't even know what the, I don't think you've helped me one bit. Like this whole time. I don't think anything has helped, you know? Yeah. And at that point you say, you know what? Maybe you're right. Uh, what are you coming here for? Maybe right. I maybe I misunderstood why you're here. Right. But instead, she's like, "Oh, very interesting that you say that." You know that yeah. kind of shit. Um, so we don't have time to go into it, but they, they do present depression on the show for him and for AJ, I believe. They talk about alexithymia for a bit, the inability to you know know your own emotional state. What is it, alexithymia? Alexithymia. Oh. And it's the it's a word that we put to when people have a hard time describing their emotions. You know, when I heard that word in the show, I just didn't know how to feel about it. And it it's true that Tony Soprano does have emotional regulation and awareness issues. A mm-hmm. lot of the people in the show do. Um, because of that arrested development, that lack of self, he wasn't reflected emotions growing up and thus doesn't really understand his own emotional state and can't really communicate about it. Uh, but in the way they describe it in the show, it's like this diagnosis upon high, which is, yeah. you know, it's kind of a silly way. The main thing I want to talk about here in terms of his psychology, I don't, you know, psychopathy, that's what people are interested in. But the thing I want to talk about is his attachment, which we've basically been talking about yeah. so far. But early in life, <clears throat> he learned that he couldn't depend on other people. And so he had to make a choice. I either chase other people or I, or I depend on myself. That's the, yeah. that's the quintessential uh, why in the road that people come to. He chose, I'm going to depend on myself. I'm right. not going to chase other people. And so I'm going to, I'm going to become somewhat narcissistic and I'm going to avoid closeness with other people. I'm going to assume other people can't really meet my needs and I'm going to be a staunchly and pathologically independent with a vast sea of dependence below the surface that will only squeak out under certain circumstances. Hmm, yeah. Like whenever Carmela wanted to leave him, he couldn't let her leave him. Yeah. He was desperate for her to stay. Uh, when he was with his uh, gubas, his mistresses, he let that sort of tenderness come out. Yeah. Uh, with Christopher, he let some tenderness come out. And, uh, but you could tell that he was not he was lonely he was upset he was rageful because he doesn't ask for help he doesn't and he's trying to get by on his own people will develop um anxiety as a result of that or they'll drink to cope or they'll run uh they'll they'll chase sexuality to cope also people on the avoidance spectrum will be attracted to people on the borderline and histrionic spectrum mm. Which the big point with Gloria was that Gloria yeah. is supposed to be someone with it with borderline personality disorder, and the oh, reason she why was, she was scary, man. <laughs> yeah, and the reason why they work together was because <clears throat> the avoidant person runs and the borderline person chases. Yeah, and so the net result is closeness. Um, you know, lots of mother issues. Mother could be, you know, as I said, histrionic, borderline, narcissistic spectrum. Uh, blah blah blah. Anyway, so the other thing we can talk about is erotic transference, which you you know talked yeah. a little bit about, about. It's related to attachment injury. So 
because you have become pathologically independent and suppressed all of your dependency needs, you have this vast sea of need for closeness and nurturing and mothering right. and, and attachment and love, but you suppress it. You always keep it down. Gets married, keeps it down. Has mistresses, keeps it down. Has friends, keeps it down. Finally finds a psychoanalyst because of the panic disorder thing. This person is stable, doesn't ask anything of him, listens, is always there. Right. It seems to be uh, caring. And all of your uh, needs come pouring out at that yeah. point. And they manifest not only in, I want you to be my mother, but the way that we as adults try to get people to be our mothers is to marry them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, wa I, want you, I want you to hold me day and night. I want you to feed me. I want you to be there for me. I want <laughs> you to hear me cry. And uh, this we categorize this in our conscious mind as wanting to have sex with or being romantically attracted to. And I know a lot of you listeners have had this happen to you and are going through this right now. It doesn't mean it's invalid. doesn't mean it's not true. It just means it's a, uh, it's a thing. It, it's real. Uh, the love is real. The, you know, he, he really wanted to have sex with Dr. Melfi. In some ways you could say he was falling in love with her. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but because of his, you know, relational traumas, that's why it was happening. <laughs> By the way, there's this dream in the first season that's very, very well done in my, th I mean, it, it, in some ways it's like too perfect, but it's still, it's still, I, I like it. Uh, the scene starts with him looking at Dr. Melfi in, in her office and he's looking at her legs and, you know, she's wearing a short skirt and the camera pans up and it's obvious that he's like attracted to her in that moment. But then he sees one of his associates walk by the window. He's like, who's that? And then, then it's clear that it's a dream because he like looks outside of her office and all his coworkers are there and they're all kind of like, what's up? You know, blah, blah. And then he walks back in and it's uh, Dr. Melfi's turned into his mother, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was very, very telling. <laughs> yeah. You know, those dream sequences were just so silly to me. Uh, I, I just did not like them. Really? Uh, yeah. With like the pussy and the fish and all that stuff? Yeah. I mean, a little bit of that I think would have been okay, but they're overly long and I thought, you know, kind of masturbatory in some ways, just like um, David Chase just really wanting to g indulge himself with dream, dream sequences. There's a reason why... When someone says, ooh, I had an interesting dream last night, there's a reason why you don't want to hear their dream because it it means something to the person that had it, but it means nothing to you because you know it didn't really happen. It's like saying, mm -hmm. I just had a daydream. Let me tell you about it. It's like, well, it didn't really happen, so it's it doesn't, it doesn't resonate with me. Um, but it was such a – well, so I found it a compelling way to – because the whole show is about Tony and his mind's working – and so, like, the dream sequences, even though they were too perfect in a way, they were a great way to get across yeah. all the mess that was in his head. Too long, too perfect, too obvious, and just, I don't know. To me, the subtleties that this show presents in the regular part of the writing, uh -huh. I thought was degraded with a lot of the, uh, the um, dream sequences. Um, in fact... As I got more into the seasons, I would skip over the entire. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, the dreams were some of my favorite Especially things. when he was, uh, you know, in the in the hospital with his... Oh, that was some of my favorite stuff. Oh, God. <laughs> it was so dumb. It was like, uh, oh, oh, I get it. Uh, he's having a dream where he's a salesperson and he's running into existential questions about death. Like, oh, that's a... What a... Prof- it, it, it feels like the writing for the mob stuff and the family stuff felt like an adult. The writing for the dream sequences felt like a teenager. I love it. <laughs> so let's get, let's wrap this up. Talk about what I liked and didn't like about the all six seasons. Love the acting. Edie Falco, James Gandolfini, just flawless acting in my book. Totally believe that they were those characters. Depth to Gandolfini and Falco's emotional expression unique emotions being complex emotions being expressed when they were acting the subtlety of you know and of their um uh, their facial expressions or their nonverbals. it was just an amazing acting job um just so consistent and so many scenes where they had to act you know the thing the thing that's most striking is gandolfini is that in real life, he's a super nice guy. Yeah, I've seen many interviews with him, and it's like, wow. <laughs> he had to do all these techniques to get him into the mood of the character because it was so different yeah. from who he was. He would like have to run around or like smack himself in the face, and and because it was so, he couldn't just naturally turn that on. And it, it, it's crazy because when you see some of those scenes, it's like. He can become such a scary monster one right. minute. And then like this like loving father and family figure the next. And then like this like manipulative like asshole. And like all the range. And it's like, wow. And it all coheres into one personality. Yeah. It's like everything was believable. Yeah. yeah. That's a you know, a feat that totally. the Gandolfini, the writer and the directors pulled off. Um, not cheesy. Uh, the show for the most part it wasn't a it was not afraid to make tony unlikable yeah it would have been so easy and much more mainstream to you know you make uh, uh, jamie lannister lovable throughout the show right? right you make Tyrion lovable you know at the beginning Tyrion and jamie are hateable characters you even kind of make cersei likable a little bit Tony became more unlikable as the season progresses. Yeah. He becomes less redeeming. Like, he's more of an asshole. Uh, He's more of a (laughs) jerk to Carmella, you know? He's more of a jerk. He's more of a bully. And they they did that, like you said, in general. Who becomes more redeemable? Carmella starts doing stuff that you're like, well, that's still quite, like, dependent and and enabling and... right. And she completely uh, gives in, essentially. And, like, same thing with um, Dr. Melfi becomes even worse of a therapist and more embroiled in the whole thing. Everyone does. Like, everyone goes worse. (laughs) Right. It would have made so much more sense to make some hero at the center. Who's going to be the savior here? Like, you could have totally imagined another writer where Christopher Moltisanti emerges from from the mob, goes to Hollywood... And becomes a writer. Right. Or at least, yeah, he finds his soul and turns on everyone, whatever. Um, Yeah, totally. 
The storyline isn't very neat. There's a lot of storylines that don't really wrap up yep. well. But again, as David Chase said earlier, it's like, look, the world is messy. Uh, In fact, many cases where you as a normal Hollywood viewer want certain things to get their comeuppance or wrap up in a certain way. Like, oh my gosh, can't wait for the scene where Tony finally gives it to Richie April. April. Oh wait, his sister just shot him because yeah. of a stupid right. argument. So <laughs> I imagine the same internet context around this show as right. there was around Game of Thrones. Right. Imagine. <laughs> like the amount of hatred. Yeah. <laughs> They'd be like, well, so what happened with the Russian? Right, I thought right. we were going to have, you know, Clegane Bowl. <laughs> um, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, also, very cool endings, like the ending of season three. Oh, totally. It just ends with, the, 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 you know, the whole season, the final scene is a boat in a bay blasting the music. Blasting the music at that at that <laughs> lawyer guy. Yeah. That's the end of the season. Yeah. And it's, remember the end I, It's I, not it's not Tony looking off into the sunset. Right, right. Remember the end of I think it's the end of season 1 where it, doesn't it end with the FBI's uh org chart? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> where they just changing They just changing, yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah, very consistent personalities for the characters. Showed a lot of end of life stuff, yeah, which is not typically a lot considered entertainment. Yeah, you know, a lot of drug addiction stuff, yeah. a lot of enabling, a lot of stark. Uh, you know, one of the first in depth depictions of what heroin addiction looks yeah. like, and how much of a grip it can have on your life. And it, you know, had these little moments that, if you weren't really paying attention, you're like, oh, Chris is going down the yeah. slip, the slippery slope. Uh, showed snotty teens. <laughs> it again, a, a better way to write that would be more entertaining for the people. To people, would to, would to be to make the teens cute, yeah, or to make them snotty, but then nice at times. Yeah, AJ was basically a dick <laughs> yeah. the entire time. He was a, a burgeoning a, a mob mafioso as well. <laughs> uh, Meadow when she did mature, still retained a lot of immature, annoying yeah. behaviors. Uh, the first few seasons, the first couple seasons with Meadow and AJ, it's just like everything out of their mouth was, <laughs> you know, it was nasty. It was, it was snotty. Now, not Which every, very realistic, <laughs> right? Not every teen is like that, but, but many teens are, and you almost never see that depicted. And especially teens growing up in that environment. <laughs> right. Also depicted in the show was lots of people flipped. Yeah. But without any real huge consequence, you know? Yeah. Pussy flipped, Adrienne flipped, other yeah. captains flipped. And you never see the that story arc kind of play out. Like one right. of the captains in the final season, you see him, the, the older guy with the glasses, I can't yeah. remember his name. <clears throat> they see him, you know, talking willing, willingly to the, the FBI. Yeah. We never find out what happens to him, I don't yeah. think. Um, also, the show is great because it makes fun of everybody. It makes fun of yuppies. It makes fun of psychiatrists. It makes fun <laughs> of, of mob people. It makes fun of FBI people. It makes fun of police officers. And, you know, it just makes fun of everybody. Right. It also, by the way, remember it happened. It's not like they knew that 9-11 was going to happen. Yeah. But they ended up writing that 
that's the consequences of 9-11 into the show. Right. And how like the FBI got redirected to working more on terrorism. Right. And they wrote storylines with that. And it, it was uh, very well done in that sense. Right. And they didn't do too much of it. Like you yeah. could have totally seen another writer, a very special episode <laughs> of The Sopranos where, you know, it happens and they all of them wake up. And oh, I actually, I've got it. Tony realizes that, yeah, I mean, they, they want to make money just like the next guy, but it's not okay with this terrorism. And he recruits and all the mobsters start fighting terrorism. Right. Tony's 11. <laughs> Which another show would absolutely do and everyone would love it yeah. because it touches all the buttons. Oh, because they're going to use all their badass mobster skills, but now against the terrorists. Having said all that, it's not like this show didn't follow a lot of mainstream tropes like murder and sex, which I'll get into here. And with the context that there were no shows like this show before it. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, the, uh, with, and, and it's hard for me to even remember that. Yeah. Like, before, before this TV show, I mean, now we're, we just take for granted yeah. the Breaking Bads, right. the Mad Men, yeah. Game of Thrones. Right. We're just like, yeah, I mean... It better be good. It better be epic. It better yeah. be like a movie. Yeah. Some of my favorite art things are TV shows now. Right. In the, before The Sopranos came out, there was hardly anything <laughs> that, that was like that. I mean, right. you could say there were some shows like uh, Sane Elsewhere. Well, ER had a couple of good early seasons that were touching. Nowhere near on the level, but still, you know, good. Yeah. Um, Twin Peaks. Oh, right. You right. could say, but, but nothing like this. After this, everyone started, the actors started, and the writers and the directors started, they said, wait, we can do TV. Yeah. Plus HBO probably paid good money for this as opposed right. to others. And the audience is, and the producers and everyone's like, hey, you know, let's do this. Yeah. Um, okay, things I didn't like. Season six, boring. I love uh, season six. Aside from the main story with Philly and Tony, love it. You know, all that stuff with Phil and Johnny Sack and, you know, yeah. uh, all the, essentially all the mob stuff. The You're just story. really against the dream sequences. <laughs> and how long of a drawn out uh, thing it was. When you watch season six again, when you get there. No, I've done it and I love it. No, I, I'm Tony, telling you. Tony is in that hospital yeah. for half the season. Who does that? No one does that. I get it, but it's boring. I loved it. Boring. You know what? Okay. You know why I liked it? Because it made me realize that this show was not about mobs. It wasn't about mafia. This was a show about the human condition and life and death. That's what the show was about. Okay. And that's why I liked it. Boring. <laughs> the other thing that really got to me upon second watching was every woman loved Tony. Right. It got old. Every woman he came across, every woman he wanted to have sex with, he had sex with. Okay. It got old <laughs> and it was not believable, particularly as he aged, you know, throughout the seasons, he got, you know, noticeably less attractive. I, I mean, I will say that the, the people they picked to be the ones that liked him were all super hot, but in real life, the self-selection would be that, yes, the women around him end up quote unquote liking him because he's the powerful rich mobster. Right. So some of it was like that, yeah. which is, which is believable. Yeah. 
Uh, particularly, it's like they might even be able to get money out of him. Right. But some of the women didn't really know about that or yeah. didn't really care about that, and he still got them. F- then finally, in the last season, uh, the real estate woman, who I think was implied to be a lesbian on, or bisexual, but anyway, the one who ended up with Chris, she yeah. ended up using heroin with Chris. Yeah. Uh, she rejects him. And I was like, finally. finally. <laughs> but then she changes her mind <laughs> and she wants to be with him. Yeah, yeah. It w- As you're watching this, just keep that in mind <laughs> and like watch just how how repetitive plus it, it it just got i was like i would skip over those scenes too it's like like he he's looking at this this co-worker at the at the uh waste management company this yeah. like secretary or this other worker and she looks at him and she's just like ooh, like if it was furio i kind of get it but tony soprano like i the way they just treated it it just felt like like in a for David Chase, who mm-hmm. knows how to not be mainstream and knows how to de- deny the you know the viewers, similar to George Martin, by the way, to make a a better story than is typically told, I felt like that was pandering to the men in the audience of just like yeah, Tony Soprano certainly gets to have sex and and they were always massively attractive women. Like, yeah. it wasn't like he ever did it with some half-attracted chick. You know what I mean? It was always just like, wow, she's an attractive woman and she wants him? Like, uh... But is this really too... I mean, like, rich mafioso, like, I don't know. It's just but like, just once. I just wanted to yeah, see yeah. one time. Just where one time. Where it didn't work. Where it didn't work. Like, one, <laughs> just once. Just give me one time where... She, or some indication like <laughs> like maybe a girl hey with uh what's her name uh <laughs> uh the wife of the of Artie Artie's wife okay <laughs> good that was one time it was one time uh but it would have been really weird if she you know but anyway uh give me a situation where say you know like there's this one scene where he's he meets this girl at the at the being and she gives him a blow job and he drops her off at the house. Yeah. And the implication is she did it for free. Right. But what I would like to have happened is you're like, Oh yeah, Tony, he always gets the girl. And then at the last minute she's like, so 300 bucks. And he's like, Oh yeah. Okay. You know, and like some indication of like, it's not because these women are genuinely attracted to him. Sure. sure it's not sure. because these women are like, ooh, I want to I wanna crack off some of that apple. You know what I mean? It's like, it's because of these other reasons that, that they do yeah. it. Although I definitely wanted to see some of the, because like, it didn't, it, it did make sense to me that someone like Gloria would be attracted to this extremely yeah. dangerous person. That 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 relationship yeah. I, I was yeah. fine with. You're it was, just saying like, what about the other cases? It was <laughs> constant. It was just constant. <laughs> and, and it just got so old. I mean, his relationship with the uh, the woman the Italian? Who, who had one leg. No, the oh, woman who had yeah, one sure, leg. Sure, sure. Well, thought, she wasn't, she was a- I liked that one. Yeah. I like that one because right. they actually played out a relationship yeah. and and 
she was different from yeah. the other women in that she was like, I don't want anything from you. Yeah. Like I, we had a good time. Yeah. That's it. Like yep. move, moving on. I'm yep. not, I'm not like the other women. Like yeah. I, I'm sure of myself. I don't need you for anything. Right. Um, anyway, so I got along those lines, watching this show with my, you know, adult eyes, as opposed to my young adult eyes, the male gaze in this show is quite noticeable now. I get it. It's a Bob show. They live in a male yeah. gaze kind of world. Yeah. But like s- where the camera goes I, and, and the costume choices for, sure. a, for a lot of the women, I was just like, okay, I get it. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I don't think we have to take it that far. Uh, 99. <laughs> which I get, yeah, yeah. which I get. By the way, I will say though, uh, look at Trump's wives. <laughs> uh, at least, you know, maybe he was very good looking younger. I don't know. <laughs> But I have to believe that a shit ton of women have turned him down. Yeah, probably. Even if he does have power. Well, I don't know. If you hear his recording, yeah. apparently they don't. AJ's lines, particularly later in the series, when he was like, God is dead and all that kind of stuff, did not... I never believed those lines. Either he didn't deliver them well, or it wasn't written well, or it wasn't uh, directed well, or mm-hmm. edited well... But whenever AJ was like, God is dead and like going through all those Mm -hmm. phases, I always got the sense of, oh, that's a young actor acting. Like Mm -hmm. when Gandolfini would say something, I didn't, I never, I was never taken out of it. I was like, that's that's Tony Soprano saying something. When AJ would say stuff, it always just, I always just felt like, uh, like there's, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what's wrong with that scene, but something terribly wrong. I just felt like it was, at least the writing was over the top. Um, anyway, some of the product placement was a little annoying, you know, like the Coca-Cola stuff everywhere in the cars. Uh, like I said, the therapy scene's terrible. Um, oh, tell me if you notice this whenever Tony, cause there's a lot of scenes where Tony would be eating. Yeah. Often pasta of some sort. And ice cream. (laughs) And ice cream. He would always be playing with his food in a certain way. Yes. uh, did you notice that? Oh yeah, Definitely. Did that bother you at all? No, no. But I noticed it. It yeah. always bothered me because at some point I learned that actors, you know, they would tell you behind the scenes and they'll tell you like, and you probably know this, but just for the listeners, when you're an actor and you're doing a scene mm-hmm. and you have food in front of you that you're supposed to be eating in the scene, you're at a dinner scene. Well, you might do 15 takes. Right. If you If you eat actually eat the whole time (laughs) the whole time you're gonna have like 10 plates of food right so the trick is is one you either put food in your mouth and spit it out or you just never really put food in your mouth and you do all the other things related to food eating like pushing your food around on the table on your plate and you know do stuff with your fork but you never actually put food in your mouth (laughs) because that saves you from having to eat like 10 pounds of food while you yeah, yeah. do 15 takes. There's actually a, a joke about Brad Pitt because, you know, he's yeah. got so many scenes where he's eating and he actually does eat. It's just like, how come he doesn't gain weight? <laughs> I saw an interview with him and he answered this question and he said that in real life, he he's a grazer, he says. Like, he, uh, d- he doesn't yeah. eat meals. Anyway. Yeah. That um, must explain it. <laughs> yeah. But in The Sopranos, uh, other people, other actors would deal with that 
problem in different ways. Like mm. they, they just wouldn't draw attention to their. I see. But I wondered if but James, Tony like stabs. <laughs> well, he's 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 always kind of yeah stabbing yeah. and moving, and it's like he's trying to fluff his food. It yeah. looks like he's even his ice cream. Yeah, yeah. He would do it with his ice cream. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? So I never caught on that that was a technique. I just always thought that's a personality quirk. Yeah, but it always just kind of. And if you really watch it, which I would obsessively watch, he would do that and he would never put anything in his mouth. So it's, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not like it's a part of his eating process. It's uh, just, I funny. think it's his way of trying to not eat. Too yeah. Much. Uh, like I said, dream sequences, terrible. I love the dream sequences. Uh, Berta, why do we but, like- but, 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 Sorry. The show, dream sequences were part of the show. It was like a shtick of the show. Yeah, but make them shorter and make them less right. obvious. <laughs> Uh, now, what, why do we? Because watch? when I'm watching the, especially when he's the, you know, the salesman. Yeah. There was no consequence to these dreams. Well, I mean, there was in the sense of what, like the the um, existential message that Chase was getting across, but not like Tony didn't learn the lesson or something like that. There was almost no lesson to be learned, you know. But like, there were some there were some moments. Yeah. Where it was. I guess interesting on a, a certain level. Yeah. He sees Tony, his cousin, and he's like, come inside. Yeah. There's a party and it's brightly lit. Yeah, yeah. And, and Tony Soprano is like, wants to go in, but he's like, well, I don't, something about that I just don't want to yeah. do. Okay. That was interesting. But that was like two minutes of literally like a, a cumulative 45 minutes of dream yeah. sequence that were spread out over a few episodes. And, you know, their whole sequence is he goes to a bar and yeah. he's, he's a salesman. He's stuck in this hotel and he goes yeah. to a bar and he orders a drink and then he orders some food and he has a con- just random conversation with another patron. And, you know, hey, I like your watch. And it's just like, why the fuck am I watching a, a boring dream? It's even a boring dream. Okay, but this, this was him giving you what you wanted, which was, you're right, Kirk. He's not a psychopath. This is another version that he could have been. And it would have been boring. And you wouldn't have watched the show. So you wanted him to have the psychopathic tendencies. <laughs> yeah. Berto, why do, we, why do we even like mob shows? Uh, there's that element of danger and certainly the fact that these mobsters seem to get away with things that, like, that end up giving them cool things like cars and money and and women and stuff like this and that seems appealing you know also uh they're anti-establishment you know like and and usually traditionally they're portrayed in a much more favorable light than than in the sopranos you know like in in the godfather there's this sort of illusion of like well sure some mobsters are horrible but some mobsters are really great family man and they're just trying to like live within, you know, that immigrant lifestyle and blow. And so like you get this sense of like, yeah, that's not so bad. I mean, they get, they do what they got to do to survive, but they're badasses. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I heard, and I don't know, but I heard from uh, some people who study this, that before the Godfather, mobsters were all kind of like Ralphie and... In shows and movies and things? No, uh, before Godfather comes out, like real mobsters. Yeah. So in real life, Uh the mob was comprised mainly of people like Ralphie. Like Al Capones. (laughs) And people who, there's no glamour. It's all, it's just, it's basically when you think of like the Bloods and the Crips. Yeah. It's just that kind of stuff. 
just like low-level crimes, no rules, no, uh, you know, noble yeah. thief, uh, just psychopathic yeah. awfulness, you know, blah, blah, blah. Everyone's out for themselves. The Godfather comes out and all those mob people start going, ooh, that's cool. And they started to adopt some of that, <laughs> some of that system because it was romanticized. I could see that. <laughs> but I don't know. Anyway, yeah. The main reason why we like mob shows, and I'm quite sure of this, and, there, and this is with a lot of entertainment, whether it's superheroes or whatever, is that we identify with certain characters like Tony Soprano because they have tremendous power. Yeah. When... Tony Soprano is at the restaurant and he sees a guy across the restaurant with a baseball cap on right. and it annoys him. Well, for the rest of us, we can't do anything. And if we do, we might get into a fight right. and we might lose. For Tony Soprano, he can walk up to that guy in the nice restaurant who's wearing the baseball cap and say, take off your hat. Right. Not only has, is he practiced in intimidation, but he can follow it up. Yeah. And even if he gets caught following it up, he'll get he'll go scot free because yeah. he's paid off cops. That is a that's a power that all of us would love to have, but right. none of us do. And it's thrilling to see that in, enacted on the screen. That's why we like, you know, that you got to have sex with whoever you want and you got to yeah, yeah. you know data. Trivia. Uh how many uh, nominations, Emmy nominations, do you think it got in, in six years? Six years, Emmy nominations, um, 20. 111. <laughs> Jesus Christ. How many did it win? Uh, 30. 21. <laughs> Upon second watching, and I don't know if you noticed this in recent watchings, I noticed a lot of super famous actors playing... Doing cameos? <laughs> not cameos, very small parts. Sure. A, a cameo is when, you know, uh, a famous person who's already famous shows up in a in a show. Oh, you mean these were before they were famous? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, yes. Like, do you remember who? Um, well, uh, let's see. Uh, hmm, not specifically, but so, I remember that, like, because it was 20 years ago, so, like, obviously, many of them went on to do stuff. <laughs> so, uh, no, we're talking, like, total bit parts, like Will Arnett who is, uh, you know, rest development right, right. as Job. He plays the the FBI woman who in, infiltrates Adrienne. Mm -hmm. She he is her husband. Oh, okay. And he and he's in he's in like 3 seconds. <laughs> Lady Gaga. I knew that she was in it at some point. She is in it for like 2 or 3 seconds and she's one of AJ's friends okay. when they vandalize the pool. Okay. Paul Dano is one of Paul Dano? Paul Dano is one of AJ's best friends. But who's who is he? Uh, oh, he's he was in There Will Be Blood. Oh, that guy. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, Michael B. Jordan. Oh, okay. Was a black street kid that bullies young Tony in a flashback, I believe. Oh, okay. Uh, again, two seconds. <laughs> Lin Manuel Mar Marianda. What? Yeah. Was he in it? He's a bellhop. Holy shit. Uh, Tony Hale, Buster in Veep. He's okay. also he's an FBI agent, I believe. Uh, Cara uh, Buono, who is not a huge name, but she was in, she's Chris's wife, if you remember. Yeah. The one who actually marries Chris. 
she she's the mom in Stranger Things, okay. the, the mom who likes Billy, uh-huh. and she was also in Mad Men. Christy uh, Milioti was she plays the mother in How I Met Your Mother. Oh, okay. And she's also in Black Mirror in the yeah, yeah. Star Trek episode, and many others. So <laughs> it was so yeah, it was so weird. I'd be like, holy crap. That's Michael B. Jordan. It makes Holy crap, sense, that's Lin-Manuel Miranda. Am I saying that Miranda? Lin-Manuel Miranda. Miranda. There, it makes sense because it's six seasons of like the top show. Miranda, that's how I, yeah. American Miranda. Six seasons of the top show of all time at the time, right? Where they need a lot of extras and people and stuff like that. And if you put that on your resume, it probably gets you other jobs after that. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Uh, let's see. <clears throat> da, da, da. Um, so the guy who plays Polly, he only agreed to sign on for the show if it was guaranteed that his character would not become a rat. <laughs> nice. Because he, he was a, a, a mobster in real life. <laughs> not a mobster, but a criminal. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was convicted. Yeah. Lorraine Bracco was originally asked to play Carmela. I knew that. Yeah. What an awful show it would have been if she, because she, she, okay. So I, as I started watching it again and I was, you know, episode two, I was like, for me, for my taste, Lorraine Bracco is a terrible actress in this show. Hmm. I can't stand the way she talks. I mean, maybe it's because I can't stand her character and what she's doing. But so I Google it. I'm like, you know, I just Google like, Lorraine Bracco, terrible in Sopranos. And there's all this debate on Reddit about, is Lorraine Bracco terrible? (laughs) Some people think, just like me, that they can't stand the way she talks. Her language is very deliberate on the show. Yeah. It's so weird. And I just don't think it's delivered very well. In other, uh, you know, acting jobs she's done, she's great. Goodfellas, uh-huh. she's amazing in Goodfellas. Yeah. Do you like her as an actress? I liked her character. I, I Do you like the way she acts in this show? Well look, I didn't I didn't think she was particularly phenomenal in Goodfellas. But I thought she was not the best actress in this show, but I, I liked her okay. Oh. I just yeah. I just I can't even but look at But remember, her. like the therapy sessions didn't bother me anywhere near as yeah. much as they bother you. But even when she was talking with anybody, it was bothersome. Yeah. But can you you got to admit, if she, if she, if Edie Falco was not Carmela, this oh sh- no, 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 totally. Like Edie Falco was easily thirty percent of the formula. Yeah, Ray Liotta, <laughs> Goodfellas, was supposed to be Tony Soprano. He was the top choice. Really? But he turned it down. Whoa, that would have been a very different show. <laughs> How dumb is that? That they would take the same couple from Goodfellas, yeah, right. Ray Liotta and Lorraine Bracco, that and just been bad. like cheesy, yeah. cheesy, like trying to capitalize on Goodfellas. Yeah. Plus, like again, I just can't imagine that. It's a very different show. Yeah, I could, I could see Ray Liotta pulling it off because, you know, he's a good actor. It's yeah. just a very different show. The woman who played Adrienne. Oh, sorry. Part part of it is because Ray Liotta looks like a an actor. Yeah. Tony looks like some guy from Jersey. <laughs> right. And I had I hadn't seen him in anything before right. that. And by the way, he is in Killing Them Softly. I know you told me. Yeah. <laughs> which is a great movie. 
Drea De Matteo, who plays Adrienne. I had the biggest crush on her. (laughs) Really? Yeah. From the moment she appeared on the screen, I was like, who's that? Uh, She spent four hours in hair and makeup before shooting. I don't doubt it. Each episode. (laughs) Uh, It took her two hours to prepare her hair. Yeah. Um, The large mugshot uh, in the Bing's office of a 23-year-old Frank Sinatra... Uh, in 1938, Sinatra was arrested and charged for what, do you think? Uh, I used to know this. Um, I'm going to go with drunk driving. Well, according to IMDb, it's seduction of a married woman. Oh, what? That was illegal. Holy shit. <laughs> Tony's boat is called the Stugats. Do you know what that means? Stugats. Uh, isn't it a cigar thing? According to IMDb, it means this dick. Oh. <laughs> All right, well, these two dicks are going to sign off and say goodbye and end this episode. So, everyone, please take care of yourself. Take care of other people because you deserve it. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.